This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. My dear friend, Mi Young Chung, was going to be the next great art photographer. But life is funny, and for 30 years, he's been working in the world of photojournalism. He has seen and done a lot in that time. Nuclear subs breaching out of the water right in front of him, working with robotics, and wrestling his photo subjects. And then we're literally, we're in the middle of the street in Palos Verdes, a small residential street. We're like kind of struggling. And then like the battery falls out of my camera, like the motor drive. I'm like, oh crap. That finally lets me go. And then he walks over towards my car, my personal car at that time as an intern. He's like fumping with like my, with my license plate, like he's going to try to take it off. So I go over there, I jump on him and I pull him off. And then we, we get our legs tangled. I end up falling out my camera. I'm Matt Brown host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to my archives. My guests have ranged from Hall of Fame basketball players, cancer survivors, and small business owner, Lynn Rogers. Someone, I think was the vice president of Fullerton Savings Loans, said something to me about you need to download Excel. You need to have, you need to learn how to work Excel. I thought Excel was what athletes did. I had no clue that it was a program on a computer that you stick numbers into and that it tells you information that's supposed to be valuable. The rest of my conversation with Lynn can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into part one of my conversation with Mi Young Chung. After nearly 18 months, I finally have not just... Mi Young Chung, but an Emmy award-winning Mi Young Chung on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Dude, I've been chasing you <laughs> like the hot blonde in the speech. I finally got you. Well, you know, it couldn't be easy. I just had to kind of, <laughs> I had to make it a little bit more challenging and difficult for you. This is great. I have wanted you on the podcast forever, forever. I'm surprised. I'm flattered too. So yeah. Thank well, you. It's a plug. Please, you we we joked about it before you hit the record button. Like, you know somebody for so long, but you really want to know more about them, and you're you're like that person to me. Like, I've known you for the daily news times when we were still shooting film, which was seems like forever yeah, ago. Yeah, but, but it's, and, and film's coming back. <laughs> I have some right over there. <laughs> it, but but it's like I want to know more about this guy. He's like my friend, and it's like I only know my friend so much. Yeah, but another thing, too, is I'm not a very, I guess, outgoing, outspoken guy. I, I'm i much more of a private guy, so that's why it's you know it's harder to find out anything about me. Yeah, but you're a great guy at a party. Well, that's at a party. Yeah, <laughs> but you're like fun and outgoing and laughing, great, and your sense of humor. But when you're in a photo, well, you're very quiet and subdued. Because I got to get in the zone. Yeah, you and Michael Jordan just we have to get in the zone, tearing up the opponents. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, if I miss this, I get fired. So I have to be in the zone. <laughs> oh, they're not going to fire you. Uh, You're like uh, a tenured season know. professor. What now? <laughs> early on, though, was early, early on, man, during the probationary periods, it's like uh, HR had you up on the wall. Yeah. This guy, anytime. Yep, with the bullseye right there. <laughs> Just give me a reason. Yeah, give me a Osama reason. bin Laden, me young, right there. Like either one of these guys, gone. I want to know everything from the early age, right? 
So I joke. Okay, I, so I was born. <laughs> we can't say that line. I, no Steve Martin jokes. Those are pre anything in the seventies. You can't say anymore. <laughs> we even talked about it with smoking the bandage. Smoking the bandage. Half of those lines you can't yeah, say anymore. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch it on TBS, <laughs> it's only like a 26-minute movie. They can slip it in right in between. With the, so much <laughs> they can slip it in with the Seinfeld episode. It's cut down so much. It's, it's like, have you ever tried to watch Blazing Saddles on TV? Oh, you can't nowadays. No, yeah. but it's literally, it's a 20-minute movie. It's, hello, boys, this, that, done, and a pie fight, and the movie's over. Or if it's formatted for TV, they just pump it full oh. of uh, you know, commercials and ads, so it's still a two-hour movie. Can you watch anything formatted for TV? No, not anymore. I can't do it. Not anymore. Not what the, you know, when we back then, uh, you know, getting VHS tapes, which was just basically like the whole movie. Right. Right. And then then DVDs now and now streaming. It's like, no. I can't. I got it. We, we watched a Netflix movie the other day and it came to the, and it showed it cropped for tv and i was like how dare they send me a dvd that's not either in the original form or letterbox like who, what how old is this dvd and who's yeah. it for yeah. i actually when i sent it back in we watched it of course you're stuck at that point but i sent it back in and i'm like get rid of this thing come on how much does it cost to download the, the you know letterbox version was, it's, I, and you know, you see the pan and scans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, that's horrible. Yeah, you know you're missing stuff in that's the scene. That's horrible. And they're sliding back and forth. Ugh, God. All right, coming to America. How you're, you're a boy raised and born in Korea. I was born in South Korea, but I didn't live there for a very long time. I, I was maybe five, I think. Uh, when, is that cool to say South Korea? You have to say South Korea because there's also North Korea. Right, but is that cool? Like, I was born in South Korea. Well, I mean, you can't just say I was born in Korea. But if you say you're born in North Korea, does that mean like you kind of got away from something? Yes. <laughs> that kind of has more like caveat, like, oh, really? Well, I guess it's kind of like saying, you know, like, are, are you from North Dakota or South Dakota? Maybe there's kind of like that same vibe with the, with the Dakotas. <laughs> you can't, you can't, uh, no, I'm from, the, I'm from South Dakota. <laughs> oh, that's easy. You're nowhere near Canada. So, how, I mean, do you remember it all as a little guy? I, I a little bit because uh, where I lived, it was in it was kind of like um, in a rural area, and there was a farm. I remember you know playing with cows there. Really? Yeah, I, I remember a couple of things. A couple of things I remembered. I as a kid, Korean kids, teenage boys, are bullies are terrible. I got beat up a lot as a kid in Korea. How old were you? Oh, at that time, before five years old. And these teenage boys are beating up you. Uh huh. My first day in school, I remember. We were in class, and there was, like, a raid by, like, the sixth graders, by the older students. And so I remember, like, I was under my table, like, grabbing under the table, showing the kids, the older kids that came in. They started punching us, like, before school started. And just, you know, we ended up crying, and we told, we told our parents what happened. So finally, the parents told the teachers, like, hey, don't have them do that again. And then my neighbor kid was kind of a bully, too. So what? so my growing up in Korea, it was traumatic. It was it was terrible. Good Lord. <laughs> What was there? Was that some kind of ritual to like toughen you up? No, just no, just, just kids being assholes. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> just teenage boys is being annoying. And you know, ter- I, I like that fifth, that five year old. We're gonna beat the snot out of him. <laughs> and I would have to pass on the. Uh, I would walk to school. Oh, maybe one of the reasons was we had to wear these silly school uniforms with um, 
with you know like the short like overalls, right? Kind of yeah. like what you see like in those you know like uh, um, like the Godzilla movies with the Japanese school kid, sure, right? Just like that, and maybe that's the reason why I kept getting beat up. <laughs> Because she had, like, those knee-high white socks, right? Oh, my God. Oh, and then you had the cap on, too. You had you had a cap? Mm-hmm. I could see it was, why it was, you got it was, your... a, it was a school uniform, so, yeah, I think maybe that's what They weren't why. doing you any favors. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Did you have a pink lunchbox, too? <laughs> a little... No, actually, I had a Snoopy lunchbox. Oh. Yeah. Oh, hello. It was, maybe they wanted my lunchbox. Maybe they know. wanted your lunchbox. I don't know. So then you come to America. Then I came to America, and then the rest is history. Yeah, it's all done. It's all <laughs> well, easy street. Easy street, Matt. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure uh, doing this chat with you. <laughs> I mean, were, was was there like a discussion like, oh, we're, we're going far away on a, on a ride to America? Or did you just wake up one morning on a plane and... Pretty much. It's like wake up one morning on a plane. Because you're, you're know, five. You're five, man. You're not it's in like, that conversation. Yeah, you just go with the parents. And, you know, ultimately our parents brought us over here because there were more opportunities, you know, and just a better life for us here than back in Korea. And it was, it was back in the 60s uh, at that point. So it would have been, you know, it was tougher. Yeah. Um, and South Korea at that time was still a second world country. They hadn't become a first right, world yeah, yet. Right, yeah, it wasn't full-fledged. Yeah, it wasn't like... full-fledged. You know, it was like second, teetering on third maybe. Um, so it was, um, you know, it would have been a much tougher, different life for me if I grew up in Korea. Did you pick up the 60s America pretty easy? Like, you know, the language and, like, the cartoons as a kid it, and it wasn't, whatever you kind of, like... No, no, because coming here, not speaking the language, basically I had to work extra hard to learn the language. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, I grew up watching just, um, you know, the, the cartoons that were on TV and the just the... 70s TV shows. Like, did you, like, were you, like, completely traumatized watching, like, the Three Stooges or Tom and Jerry beating no, no, snot no. out of each other? No, because when, when I was a kid in Korea, I would read some Korean comic books, right? And those were pretty violent, too. My mom, oh. she would take it away. She said, don't read that. Because, you know, it was it was bad. People fighting and stealing and stuff. So she's like, no, no, you know, don't read that. And so, you know, seeing that on TV here with cartoons and shows, and it's like, you know. Normal. Or whatever. It was normal. It was <laughs> just a cat and it was just, mouse beating the snot out of each other. It was just entertainment, you know? Sure. So. How was your then that learning the language and growing up early in your life for you? Was that easy? Did you pick up the language easy? No. It's, you know, it's it's a tough language. So, but you just go out there and just, just work at it and just, you know, study hard. Right. That's that was the bottom line. It's like, there's nothing you could do. Except just study extra hard. Right. How'd you find yourself then coming into California? Um, my parents, my dad, he got a job offer. Was, my dad was a minister. So he had a uh, job offer to be like a, an assistant minister or at a church in California. And um, so brought the family over. Um, Were you always a valley? Was that in the valley? The Valley, man. Yeah, so, I pretty much grew up in the San Fernando Valley since like 1972. I've been living in around the San Fernando Valley, um, but always, always in the LA area, Southern California. I've never really lived outside of Southern California or L the LA County area. Right. I mean, are you waiting to be in a Paul Thomas Anderson film? I mean, that very 70s kind of valley thing. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. What was what was the valley like for you? 
in the seventies? I mean, the Valley was all I knew. Um, it was at that time, um, you know, every kid had a, a skateboard. You had to have a skateboard, you know. So I was, I was, I was a big skateboarder. I had, you know, a couple of boards. I had the Road Rider. Um, you lit up when you said that, like when you said skateboard, like that really meant well, that. That was a huge thing as a kid because you know you just sort of like at that point you just kind of like you're being like every other kid. You know, it's, it's part, your closest step to freedom, too. Yeah. So, yeah, as a kid, you're on a skateboard, you know, and it was just great with all the different things I bought for the skateboard, you know, the glitter tape and all that, <laughs> the different wheels and the different trucks that you got. Did you guys have a skate park? No. Okay. <laughs> we just had to do find like a hill around the house or somewhere <laughs> and do that. And then over by actually Valley College, there's a uh, park with a walkway. Okay. There's like, like little hills, short, small hills. Yep. And we would do the whole, what they call, you know, like the, the catamarans, the tandems where you sit on your boards opposite each yeah. other, hold each other. Yeah. Do that feet until, to feet crossed over. Exactly. And, yeah. That's exactly what it was. And then you lean back and forth for your left yep. and right. Yep. And you haul yep. ass. Yep. And you better have a good partner. Yep. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we used to do as kids, you know, and it was great. I love that skateboard. Yeah. Until uh, some bully knocked me over and took it. <laughs> you and bullies. <laughs> I've had a terrible experience with bullies. You know. What was the last time you were on a skateboard? Uh, I mean, for real. Yes, for real. Maybe, maybe, maybe high school. All right. After this podcast, we'll go outside. We'll <laughs> no, 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 no. no. You worried about breaking a hip? Yeah, these these bones don't heal as quickly. You know, I'm not as resilient as I was back when you were then. 11. Yeah, you can fly out, fly yeah. off the board, and not hurt so bad. Exactly. When did you start to find a creative side? I I think I've always had a creative side, but the way it would it came about was when I was growing up. We had you know. Um, my parents subscribed to Life Magazine, Look Magazine, National Geographic, okay. all the fo- uh, photo-rich publications, right? And so as a kid, I would just, you know, um, just look through those. And also, I, I didn't have a lot of friends. So basically, my escape was just kind of like looking through the magazines, you know, hanging out with my, you know, my brother and my sister. And there was a neighbor, neighborhood kid that, you know, we'd meet too, right? But I wasn't, um, I wasn't a, a popular kid. I wasn't like in a popular clique. And so, um, you know, you spend a lot of time just trying to be entertained. Right. And National and Geographic. And- all, all that stuff. And it was beautiful. Just the photography in there was beautiful. And that's actually how I got caught up actually at that time in photography and seeing just the old works. And the thing that really drew me, inspired me, and made a, uh, uh, you know, that I remembered was the war photography from Donald McCullen. Um, the, uh, the the combat photography like and taking place in Ireland, right? And just just randomly, that's the stuff that just kind of stood out to me. That this guy would go in there, risk his lives, you know, to get these photos. And for me, it's like wow. At that point, it's the power of photography. You know what you can do, like be a witness to history. You're you know mixing art and technology. Now all of that was cool, and I loved it. You know, just that aspect of it, just art and technology, and kind of like recording history you know so that, that was cool even as a kid i just i all those thoughts came into my mind that these this these pictures that this guy took in a war zone will live forever and it'll be a visual record of that time and that place wow that's pretty powerful for that to have just stuck into your head 
Well, not not in those words. That's well, no, a, that's an adult speaking. Yes, but at but, that time, those were my thoughts. It's like, man, these you know these pictures are going to live forever. And yeah, but it did something to you. Instead it, it of turning did. you off, it clicked something mm-hmm. that was like, wow, that's that's it's amazing power he had. Yeah. Now it's in a magazine and mm-hmm. it's doing something to me emotionally. That's and then also the technological part of it was just, you know, a camera. It's just, you know, like you can take a just a sliver of time and freeze it forever. Now, did you guys have a family camera? My dad had a family camera. Okay. Uh, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to touch it. But well, was he a picture taker for the family or? Yeah, you know, like as, as parents do, it's right. like, uh, you know, take family pictures all the time. Right. Here uh, we are at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, exactly. Here we are at, you know, whatever. Yes, all of that. But it, my, it didn't really happen until I got my my first camera, which was a Kodak Instamatic, you know, the little plastic camera. That was your first? Yeah. How'd you as get a it? Kid. That was, I got it as a gift from my parents. Okay. It took the 126 cartridge film, <laughs> just go around, shoot a bunch of random pictures and get it processed and get the you know, little square prints. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you, did you just immediately fall in love with it like yeah. the power of it i did i loved it so much i took the camera apart and i didn't know how to put it back together and i was without a camera for a long time after that <laughs> i'm like how does this thing work and i took it apart and i couldn't get it back together <laughs> Jesus Christ. i didn't get you a puppy <laughs> well really <laughs> that that was a technological curious side of me going how does this work I mean, did it even have screws? Was it all? No, like- it did. It was plastic, but there were some screws there. And it was like a simple spring-activated shutter, you know, one shutter speed, right? Right, You just yeah. advance it, and then they put tension on the spring, you push the shutter, and open the, you know, the iris, and right. closed it, and, and that was it. And I'm going, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to see how it works. So I took the screws out, and I, there's something, I think, with the spring. I didn't know how to get it back in there, like, like to pre-tension it, you know? Right. So I'm like, oh, no. It's like, it doesn't work now. <laughs> She just walked around for a couple months with a fake camera. With a fake camera. Click, 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 click. Yeah. click, click, click. How old were you at this time? When I got the Instamatic, I was maybe about 12, 13. That sounds about right. That's just curious enough to get into yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. So then, when do you get your hands on a camera then that's working again? Uh, the, okay, a real camera. No, no, just another camera that works. I mean, you destroyed this one. Oh, no. I didn't have a camera until I got my real camera later in high school okay how? so i was without a camera for for years after that okay what what did was it high school photo classes high school photo class because i needed an art class right something hey photography this is kind of cool well, let me just do this and the first time you make a print not just you know not doing the processing because you know what a mess that is <laughs> trying to like spool it on and stuff and Oh god! But the first time you make a print and that image in the dark and just it just comes up, you're like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And I have the very first print I ever made. It was a picture of my cat. Uh, then um, when I was living at home, and that's the first picture I ever processed. And then, and for me, that was it was just magical. Just seeing something like that happen, you're like, "Wow, this is incredible!" You know. You still have it. I still have it. That, that was that was that was the first print I ever ever made, and it was a high school photo class. Fiber or was it? Uh, that was no no no. It was the RC based. Oh hello, hey, RC fancy pants. <laughs> now we couldn't afford the fiber, man. So I mean, you're hooked at that point. Yeah, I was like, so, I was hooked by it. I go this oh, magic. This is, this is magic. This is incredible. I and I've said this a dozen times on this podcast. 
people don't realize unless you've been in that dark room. It is magic. It is. What you've done, it's like, oh my God, I'm giving, watching birth happen. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's just like this paper goes into this water and then whoop, there's something magical. Something special. Hopefully something special comes out of it. If not, you go back and you do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an unbelievable power. Mm -hmm. And and as a kid, being able to do that, uh, having that power to do that, where I can process my own film, make my own pictures, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. So, did you take to the burning and dodging of it? We're now not you... then. Okay. <laughs> the burning and dodging didn't come about until college, and you know, you grew up reading the MPP magazine, right? And back in the '80s, oh my God, the, the you know the hand of God burning and dodging, <laughs> yes, that thing, right. Right. So my influence, you know, was kind of like that in in some good ways and some in many bad ways. So Yeah, because you kind of did grow up in that 80s where mm-hmm. that's where the dark room for journalism was really being seen because mm-hmm. you didn't realize someone like who Ansel or Ed Weston was doing to mm-hmm. their prints, minor white because there weren't write-ups, but they were doing it but it was very subtle. Yeah, it was when I worked on the college newspaper, we got the MPP magazine, so we I would look through it, right? And you'd see just all these great photographers, you know, from you know, like the Philadelphia Inquirer, right. you know, the Cincinnati Inquirer, um, you know, the LA Times, is Pittsburgh all, Gazette, you Pittsburgh name all those Gazette, great all those, all those great, you know, uh, there was it the Kansas, uh, uh, Topeka, Kansas. Yep. Uh, you know, just all these, this great work. And um, so you try to emulate that, you know. Right. And you know out. this, and we'll dive into it. We'll jump ahead. But there used to be little papers that the big papers wished they were as good as. Like the Marysville paper, or these little papers, and you're like, well, why are they so good? Because they gave huge play, massive photo play. San Jose Mercury News. Yes, was uh, was a fantastic, fantastic photo paper. Right, um, Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole. Yep. Um, uh, um, a former colleague of mine, he worked at the Flint Journal, which was an amazing photo paper. Very small, right? Uh, very small staff, but you were involved in like almost every aspect of it. And so they just had this, you know, beautiful photos. And it was it the Topeka, Kansas Journal, the one I think was mm-hmm. it Rich Clarkson was um, yep. a DOP there? Yeah. Yeah. And then all the big ones were kind of like, we'll look at the end of the year contest. Vir- Virginian and, Pilot. Oh, my you know, God. Atlanta, yes. The Atlanta was a Constitution Journal. Journal, just right. All these, all these fantastic papers growing up. Right. You just had so Philadelphia Inquirer. Right. I mean, man. They weren't the Times. They weren't the Post. No, no. It was these these little to small papers that gave huge mm-hmm. display, and you would go, "Oh, that's where I want to work." And and, and even even um, uh, during the eighties, maybe nineties, even the Orange County Register, yep. what they were doing photos, you know, right. that was just mind blowing. Well, that won them the Pulitzer in eighty four. Mm-hmm. Color big displays, you know. I got to have Bruce Chambers on. He should have probably won the Pulitzer, mm-hmm. but his black and white at at Long Beach compared to what the team did for the register and its color, probably he got held back because he was black and white. And it's not his fault. God, you know, this people start looking at color. When, when you started shooting color, mm-hmm. was it changing for you? Was it like, whoa, people think this is cool? Yeah, because I think that's what people wanted. People wanted color. You know, we should, we switched to color because that's what the readership wanted. You right. Know? We can give them something extra. 
and hopefully something, you know, kind of bright and pretty that would, you know, get more subscribers, hold on to subscribers. Walk by that little box and yeah. drop in that yeah, corner yeah. Exactly. buy that paper. Exactly. Exactly. So in high school, like, were you just all in? You're like, ah, I'm hooked. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot and take pictures of everything. Pretty close. Just was, like blow up. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Because remember, I, I took that when I was a senior in high school. And after that, I, it's like all of a sudden, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I had no idea. Um, so if I didn't. for me, photography wasn't even on the, well, let me, let me back this up. Photojournalism, right? Publication work. Right. That wasn't even on the radar because I had no idea how you would get into something like that. I So I figured, you know what? I would be maybe an art major. Okay. You know, do art photography and make a living however you could that way. <laughs> sure. Right? And be, beyond that, it's like I had no idea what I was going to do after I left high school. I thought I was going to join the military because I had no plans beyond high school of what I was going to do. You nothing know? nothing sparked your interest, like, I want to be a this or that. You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm graduating. Yeah, because, you know, I think anyone, a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot, but me at that age, you know, 17, 18 years old, you just, you know, you graduate high school. You're just at that point in your life where you just, you have that kind of glazed look. It's like, no, oh, what am no, I going to do? No, it's a lot. A lot of kids it's have a that. It's a lot of, it's a lot of um, pressure and um, right. a lot of stress. I mean, can you imagine 18? I live with one here in the house and they, they're shocked and they don't know immediately what they're going to do when they're 30. It's hard. It's Dude, tough, you have man. no clue. At 18, you have no idea. Yeah. And so for me, realistically, I thought I was going to join the military, you know, to, Go, go for four years and have them pay for my college. That's what I thought was going right. to happen. Uh, but then I thought, and then for me, I thought maybe I'll just be a photo art major, go locally, go to Cal State Northridge, you know, because okay. it's local. Stay I, home. Stay home, you know, and then maybe, you know, go to Cal State Northridge and figure out what I really want to do. Right. And that's a lot of times, that's kind of the plan yeah. in college, kind of figure it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So you decide, okay, I'm going to become a matador. Yeah. Okay. Go go matadors. Go matadors. <laughs> <laughs> so as while you're there, when does this start to unfold of photography? Start so to... uh, so when I was there, I was taking a lot of photo classes, but they were art classes. Right, and that's totally different. It's totally different. You know what? Oh my god, the, those people are driving me crazy. <laughs> In what way? In what way? There was, there was like, there was like the certain pretension, you know, pretentiousness and uh, sort of, you know, snobbishness. Elitist. Elitist. But you know what? But then journalism is the exact same thing. I know, right? I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't say that. It's so funny when you look back at it. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. Or it's high pot, high kettle. Yeah, it's the same thing. Right. Oh, what word did you get? What what foundation are you with? But no, but I was taking our photo classes, you know, kind of enjoying it, doing this and that and whatever. And, you know, still not really knowing what I wanted to do. And then in the school newspaper, the Daily Sundial, I saw an ad saying the, the Sundial Needs is looking for a photographer. I'm like, perfect. So I showed up. That's me. That's me. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> so I showed up. I, and I talked at that time. I talked to the photo um, editor um, of the paper. I got a, uh, just a simple assignment to go like shoot a mugshot of a speaker, you know, speaking in a classroom. Right. And it was published with my name. And at that point I was like hooked. You know, it's like, you know, oh, my God, that's my picture. That's my name. I was there. I did that. 
And then, so it was a daily sundial that actually um, changed my life in terms of being a photojournalist, in terms of working for a publication. So it was, that was my really real first step. And I, at, and that, at that point I realized, this is what I want to do. Forget art. <laughs> Forget art of those snobs. I want to. I want to join journalism and you know be friends with these snobs. <laughs> I like these snobs better than those snobs. Yeah, this this is a better class of snobs than those snobs over there. <laughs> you guys have no clue what you're doing. But it's uh, you're you're right in a way. Like the art side of those people, they really think they're going to make a difference. They're changed the way they see things. And you come into the journal, same group of people, just different shirts. That's, yes. That, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, we're going to change the world. We're going to do this and that. But those were your people. Yeah. Well, for me, when same I, umbrella, but those were your people. Yeah. But when I was working on a school newspaper, I, I didn't think I was going to like change the world. For me, it was just cool seeing my name in print. You know, it's like, wow. Did you, did you show your parents? Yeah. And what did they say? They said, okay, what are you going to be a doctor? Or what are you going to be a lawyer? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, very, Your parents are Jewish. Very traditional, very traditional on, Asian parents. Asian parents, right? It's like, are you going to study medicine? Are you going to study law? So, you know, just you, when you grow up in an Asian household, right. as a Asian kid, right. traditional Asian parents. So that's, yes. you know, that's sort of the um, expectation. Yeah. Was it, I mean, it's got to be powerful. You see your name, it's spelled right. Woo, the font, you know, and you're just like, Oh my God! Can we, can I do this again? Mm-hmm. When can we do this again? Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's it's like a it's a shot to the arm, man. It's just like this. It's a rush every time you see that. Yeah. What's your next assignment? You did the headshot. What's your next assignment? Do you remember? I don't remember. I, it was, it was, I'm sure it would have been it would have been some kind of a general like a features assignment on campus. What are you shooting with at the time? At that time, my graduation uh, uh, present for my parents when I graduated high school was the Olympus OM-1N. I love that camera because that, that was my first real camera. I'll have to look that one up. The I Olymp- think I've seen it. The but... Olympus, I love that camera. Wow, and so what, 50 millimeter? No, I had a tw- I had a 28 millimeter. Oh, wide and, angle. And then I had a 135. Oh, fancy. Yeah, it was fancy. Shoo. <laughs> so you're, you're legit. You're two lens... Professional camera guy. At this point, I'm legit. I didn't have a motor drive, though. I, I had to save my money and buy a, a motor drive later. It, it accepted one. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Five frames a second. And it would even take the 250 exposure back uh, on that camera, Are too. you kidding? No. Jesus, what are you shooting? The shuttle launch with that thing? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's big that it accepted that back. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the Olympus was um, a, a pretty big thing back then it was, no, they tr- were. It was it was trying to compete with the big boys like Nikon and Canon. Yeah. Um and I, and the, it, there was an ad I think Olympus was like the camera for well, like uh, UPI maybe at some point okay. you know, like the camera of the UPI photographers or something like well, that. Well, I think Olympus and Canon were kind of neck and neck trying to fight with Nikon. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, Nikon was the big Minolta boy. was in there too trying to yep. battle in that space. Mm-hmm. It's funny how they've those cameras have fallen out yeah. but at one point in the 80s they were all trying to go after nikon yeah nikon was the uh, you know the 800 pound gorilla in the room everyone right. was going for nikon right and if you were a real photojournalist you had a leica and and so um a couple years later i saved up enough money to buy myself a nikon the uh nikon f 
FM. That one, the one in his shirt? No, this is a Nikon F. Oh. This is a 19... <laughs> no. Wow, you must have saved up a lot of coin. Uh-huh. Brand new, not used? No, it's brand new. You know how I did it? I worked part-time through a friend as a security guard at a condominium in Hancock Park. Because <laughs> my friend of mine was doing it. He said, oh, you should come, you know, do this part-time. He goes, it's good money. It's really easy. And, uh, and he goes, because, it's, you know, it's Hancock Park, you usually get pretty good Christmas bonuses, too. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you have to do? Sit there in a guardhouse, man, and just kind of just keep track of, you know, guests going, uh, visitors going in and out. You do your rounds with a little punch key, you know, so you punch at the different stations. Right. Um, you know, say hello to the opossums on, on the back wall that abutted the L.A. Country Club. Um, and just, you know, be polite to the uh, the residents. And Did guests. you have a little outfit? Yes, I had a security outfit and walkie-talkie. Ooh, no cart? No cart. No, this is just walking. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I did that. And I had time. To, I had plenty of time to study. So you know, I would study there. When someone shows up, put the book away. You know, take their name, and you ring in. You you know. Do you have um, the night shift or what? What was your I shift? Had the, no, I had the night shift. Oh man. I um and 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 a couple of times I had to fill in, like you know, for my friend when he wasn't around, or one of the other guys. And I did like an overnight shift, and that was awful. Like from like midnight to like six a.m. Oh, or something. Graveyard brutal. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Oh, my God. So you saved up your coin. You're yeah. all in now. Now, are you thinking, though, do you even have an understanding of, like, where you're going to be photojournalism-wise? I mean, you're in this club. No, I had no idea. Yeah. Like, what are you, so what are you doing? So uh, what I'm doing is I'm just I'm working hard to put together a portfolio that, you know, eventually, hopefully, I can show someone. So you knew you had to get a book together yeah. of some sort. Well, because the, here's the thing. The... This is all tied in, in like in a really, really interesting way. So my school, the newspaper advisor, she was married to the suburb, all the suburban editor. Uh, he was the editor for all the suburban editions of the um, LA Times, you know, like Valley, South Bay, Southeast, um, and like San Gabriel, whatever, just like, you know, all the different things, right? So my advisor had an in with a real newspaper because her husband was the editor, a suburban editor for all these, you know, the, the bureaus. And so for me, it was working hard, trying to impress her, tried to get a portfolio together and eventually try to get an internship. Mm, the so, internship. Yeah. So the more work, um, the more I worked at the, uh, the school paper, you find out, okay, these are the things you need to do. You got to put a portfolio together and then you got to apply for internships. Um, and then that just kind of gets you your foot in the door, and that's how you go about it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Who but, was advising you on putting together your book back then? Uh, it was just me and whoever I can round up. There, there was no, you know, there was no professional I could talk to. So it, was, it would be me and some other photographers, maybe someone from like uh, one, like the photo editor from the school paper, saying, "What do you think about this? What do you think about that?" You know, um, looking at NPPA, and it's like. Does my photo look like, you know, that? <laughs> Does it look like that? Does it look like that? And so, you know. How me, did that book look? If you look back at it right now, what, what does it look like? I'd be like, that's pretty awesome <laughs> for for then. <laughs> what was the images in the book? Do you remember? I, it, was, it was like portraits and features. Um, but... The thing that actually helped me get an internship really helped me with my portfolio 
was when I took an advanced photojournalism class, Photo 350. It was taught by Tom Jago, the Daily News photographer. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, Tom taught for one semester, I believe. And I, so I took it. I go, oh, this is perfect. Cause we got a guy who works for a newspaper. This is what I want to do. He'll know. This is the guy I need to impress. Right. And so that's what I did. I hustled and I shot and I just did the best work I could. And one of the, um, one of the, the picture stories that I did was on the, uh, boxer, um, back, back then it was the, the Ru- Ruelas brothers. They were, uh, uh, brothers, who were also boxers too, and so they were nice enough to let me, you know, go to their the their workout, okay, and just do like you know a short photo essay on that, printed that out, mounted you know that on like the hard board and stuff, and showed it in class, and Jago loved it, so I used that those pictures as part of my portfolio for my internship portfolio as a, a story. Wow! So it was for me. It was just going in there and literally impressing Tom Jago and saying, you know. Because the stuff he was doing was, you know, he would introduce himself and showed all of his work. And it was just like really just mind-blowing stuff, you know. And, you know, because you're not exposed to anything like that at that age. Yeah, you've not, you've not yeah. seen anything. And, like and, and that was all pre-Google too, right? Right. Like pre-internet. So you didn't have right. access to any of that stuff. You totally had to live on the MPPA magazine. MPPA magazine, um, school advisor, uh, fellow students. Or magazines out, or themselves. Or magazines themselves. Right? Yeah. And then you know, you would find out about things like internships through either word of mouth or through MPP magazines. Like, you know, so-and-so is having uh, an internship. You know, this is how you apply. Apply at the Mercury yeah. News exactly, or apply exactly. at the Dallas Morning Star. Exactly. Yeah, we're looking for a two-year whatever. Exactly. Why did you – you said you had bought the Nikon. Why mm-hmm. did the Nikon not stay with Olympus? Because the Nikon was a much better camera. And you knew that, but you were willing to, like – I love the Olympus, but I, I knew eventually I'm, I would have to go to Nikon because all the professionals use Nikon, right. right? And so if you wanted, like, comparable quality stuff and, like, durable camera cameras and things like that, you had to go to Nikon. Were you did, were you juggling both cameras at the same time? Yeah, and that was terrible. I was going to say, that's, that's that, was, that yeah, point. wow. And so what I did was when I got the Nikon, I shot with the Olympus both back and forth for a little bit. Um, and then eventually the Olympus kind of went to the side <laughs> when I could when I had the money to buy a uh, another um, Nikon, the another FM two or whatever. You were it was. saving your pennies. Yeah, yeah. No, I was making my rounds as a security guard, <laughs> getting those holiday bonuses. Getting, getting those holiday bonuses for my Nikon. Merry Christmas, ma'am. <laughs> oh, that sweet boy at the gate. Here you go. I mean, that that's that's that, you're saying. How much were the cameras back then? Do you remember? Oh. Like I don't know, four hundred bucks, maybe maybe a little bit less. I don't know. Three seventy five. Like the F, like the FM two N was maybe like three fifty. Um, three seventy five maybe. I'm guessing. That's a lot of money though back then. I don't it know, it was you. no, that no, was a lot of no, money. No, it was. That's why you know. Because what were you making per hour? I don't remember. Three bucks. I don't remember. But you remember also as um, back then, I didn't have a lot of expenses. You know, I was no. li- I was living at home. You had so a car. They, uh, yeah. Gas was six yeah, cents but, a but gallon. It, yeah, it was my parents' car though. So it was, oh, uh, so it wasn't so even they, your car. Yeah, so, so it was their car. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was I was living at home, so I didn't have any expenses. So I just pocketed all the money and just like and, and bought the cameras with it. That's smart. Okay, so I what, wish I, I wish I could still do that now. <laughs> Live with mom and dad. <laughs> well, we could see what we could do. Call them up. Is that room still available? Yeah. <laughs> do you still have my Snoopy lunchbox? <laughs> uh. Were, what, did you get an internship? I did. Where did well, you get it? 
Well, okay, okay, this is... I applied for an internship at the Philadelphia Daily News. Whoa. Right? Jesus, and, you didn't even stay local. You And, you know, um, and I got... Okay, no, no, okay, this is what happened. I applied to the LA Times, the Santa Monica, the South, um, the Santa Monica, um, Breeze? uh, no, 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 the Santa Monica Bureau. Oh, okay, the Bureau, of the yeah, LA the Bureau, Times. the Bureau, yeah. of the, LA, the Santa Monica. Because people don't right. know that there was bureaus uh, all, all, all over, over California. Yeah. And so I applied to them and I got rejected. Um, and then one of the other places I applied to was the Philadelphia Daily News and they accepted. And so for me, I'm like, and, Okay, do I go there or what? And at that time, I was doing like regular freelance work for the Daily News. The wow. Daily News. Is this Th- your junior senior year? This is my senior year. Wow. Okay. So I was doing. I was. Uh, Jago was instrumental. Tom Jago was instrumental in my career. Period. Um, so he uh, put a good word in for me. And I was getting a lot of freelance work through the Daily News. I was like, you know, at that time, I was making, you know decent money for, you know, this kid who was in college, right? And so when the Philadelphia Daily News accepted me, I called them and I said, you know what, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to turn you down because I got a freelance gig here and (laughs) I'm doing pretty well right now. So I had to reject them. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I applied for another internship with the, um, with the, um, uh, the South Bay LA Times, I replied for the LA Times, the South Bay office, the one in Torrance, and I got accepted to that. So I was an intern down there for, what, 10 weeks from, like, January to April or something like that? Okay, so it was, like, the spring one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That, that was interesting, and you only work three days a week because, you know, it's, it's a bureau, so it wasn't, they didn't put out, like, a it wasn't a daily. No, you kind of covered gaps, Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I would work three days, but... I would be down there more days just to, you know, do as much as I possibly could. Okay, so what was that like, even at the Daily News, when you're walking into, quote-unquote, a, a real newsroom? Uh-huh. What was that like for you? It was, you? it was really intimidating, you know, because all of a sudden, like, you're around these, you know, these professionals who are, like, tops of their biz, and it was the L.A. Times, right? Yeah, I mean, so, these guys are in the paper every day. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you're around, like, you know, these really, really you know, hardcore, respectable journalists. So you just had to be, you know, mindful and just... Whose names or who who did you see either at the Daily News or Times that kind of, like, awestruck you? Like, oh, crap. Okay, now, the names that actually really, I went, oh, crap, was a bunch of Herald Examiner photographers from the 1984 Olympics, because I was living at home, right? And so... um of course you were. Yeah, we got we got, <laughs> we got the uh, the paper right, and their coverage it was black and white, but like you know full like double trucks. And I remember this this incredible photo of you know like the Mary Lou Retton doing the her vault you know backwards mm-hmm. stuff. And the name was uh, was it Ann Newton was one of them, um, and then you know like you have uh, some of the other um, guy Jim Rubesman, um, so uh, Leo Jarzum, all of these guys. Those are the names I was more impressed with, you know, like right. seeing the uh, 84 Olympics coverage in the Herald Examiner. I look at that and go, man, these are just incredible pictures. I think, tell me if I'm crazy, I think the Herald Examiner gets forgotten. They, they do get forgotten because of, you know, everything that happened. But they had some just terrific photographers and just fantastic writers, too. Yeah, and Alan Malamud came from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, 
they were literally, they were going toe-to-toe with the LA Times mm-hmm. and the Times mm-hmm. whooping their ass. They had unbelievable stuff. And and the stories that they would write, it was it was take no prisoners type of writing, you know. Just they just went at it hard and you know, there was there was a good, good, talented, scrappy sca- staff. Right. And their photo staff was just really amazing, incredible. So. I remember talking to you know uh, uh Joe Kennedy and him saying, you know, they've got some really great guys. Take a look, try to find, you know, I had to go find the Herald Examiner mm-hmm. in 1985 when it wasn't really, we got the LA Times. Their stuff was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're fantastic photographers. Yeah, that whole place. It, mm-hmm. it really gets, you know, they well, they went out in like late 88, 89. 89, I believe, is when they folded. Yeah, they finally folded. Yeah. And it's a shame because they really kind of get lost in the LA lore of mm-hmm. what they were accomplishing at the time. They were, I mean... Would you have gone there? Sure, if you if I if they offered me an internship, I would have done an internship there because I think it would have been fun, <laughs> right? It just it would have been crazy and fun. I think I wrote the Herald Examiner. I kind of felt, and you you were in this deeper. You were you were starting a professional level at that point. Was Times more corporate, and they were more like that? That's what it seemed the like. The Rolling yeah, Stones, or exactly. the you know, yeah. party. Yeah, it, yeah. It, in my mind, it just seemed like the Times is, you know, the the kind of like the, the you know the button down shirt and, mm-hmm. and the, astronaut like yeah. white shirt tucked in yeah, tie. And the Herald, the Herald Examiner was a little bit more jeans and you know like yeah, uh, getting it denim, done, having denim, fun, denim jacket type of yeah. mentality, cigarette and always going to smell yeah. like bourbon, yeah, whiskey. <laughs> but I, yeah, back at that time, it was just the the competition was so great. You had the Herald Examiner, you had the LA Times, you had the Daily News, or back then it was called the Valley News and Green Sheet. So mm-hmm. there are three, you know, sizable newspapers, all in the LA area, which is which was amazing. And then and then all the little papers, right? The Long Beach Press, the Long Telegram, Beach Burbank Leader, right. the Foothill Paper, Glendale News Press, all those little guys. There yeah, too. San, uh, Passing the Star. Yeah, they yeah. all absorbed their cities yeah. and owned it. Yeah, you know, the Long Beach Press Telegram at one point was like. Was one of the one one of the best papers in the country. Right, yeah. they had a quarter million you yeah. know subscription. What at that time when they were what Knight Ritter? Yeah, and and you know going to school Knight Ritter was everywhere because they had just some you know fantastic. Pay- I think the Mercury News was Knight Ritter at that time. Yep. And you're like, man, if I can get a job at the San Jose Mercury News, and now you know looking decades later, you look back at you know what what happened to these just fantastic places, just absolutely gutted. So right, I mean the it's, absolute it's, it's collapse. Eating themselves and getting bought up corporate wise, mm-hmm. you just kind of go, "What? Yeah, yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. You were so powerful!" Like, if someone... and there are so many options to get a job. Like, if you wanted to get a job in newspapers, <sighs> there were so many places, you know. And that at that time, when I got late eighties, you know, their newspapers are growing. They're making tons of money. They're expanding. They're hiring. I mean, that's like the like the best time, just about to you know get a job in this profession. I remember Kennedy telling me, he's like, if you want a job, you'll get one. He goes, you, you can't not get one. And I remember him, I remember sitting and looking at internships with them, and there were just everywhere. Internships, I mean, mm-hmm. there were four or five in, in Seattle. There were four and five in Portland. There were four and five in Phoenix. I mean, and there were, there, like you, like the 10-month, three-month, six-month, the year-long. Like, holy crap. Now I don't know if you can find one. No, no. Do you guys it's offer ver- one? We do. The LA Times offers internships. Still. Yes, yes. Jesus. Yes. That's a rarity. Mm-hmm. Pa- so- paid, paid internships. <laughs> oh, too. oh, oh, oh. That's even, that's, 
That's a unicorn Whoa. right there. Paid internship is a unicorn. I thought it was just snacks in the cafeteria, but no. Free coffee. Cash. <laughs> Shit. Were, were you... Were you thinking at any point early, like you're not even in your career yet, but like, were you fearful you made the right decision? Like, are you, you know, is there a kind of a, oh God, what if, or no, are you so over I, the moon? I was over the moon. For me, I like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is me. You know, this is what I have to do. And this fits me perfectly. So. Cause there's um, always that one bad assignment where you start to question yourself. Oh, and you're like, oh, oh my God. That's, oh God. There's so many of those have happened, you know? And you, yeah. And I do question myself and go, why am I doing this? You know? <laughs> right. But I Especially can, early when I can have a YouTube channel instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Smash the like button. Smash that like button and subscribe. <laughs> See, you got it down. Still time. <laughs> Still time. I'm so young enough. I could be an influencer. Absolutely. <laughs> His good looks, charm. I don't see what can hold you back. Just myself. <laughs> That's it. So you're in. You're over the moon. You're I'm fully in. committed. Yeah, you I'm take in. the you take the thing of the South Bay. You get your ten weeks in. Mm-hmm. They release you. But let me tell you about my internship. Talk about bullying, right? Oh God! The bullying just follows me around. Okay. <laughs> so in my internship, I get sent out to an assignment out to like. Uh, a nice area. It's like Palace Verdes or something, right? Like a decent neighborhood, right? And they tell me, just go out there, you know, get a shot of this property, see if the owner's there, if you see if you get a picture. Okay, I'm like, whatever. So I show up, park, and I, go, I see this gentleman. I go, are you so-and-so? And the guy's like, yeah, who are you? I go, hey, I'm with the LA Times. Uh, can I take your picture? He's like, no, get the hell out of here. What they forgot to tell me was that this was a delicate story, right, where this guy... The city, like, he was like like a pack rat. So the city ended up or forced him to clean it up and send him the cleanup bill. So you know, there was like a big, like, lawsuit with him and the city. It was like a bad story, right? So I'm just there. And so I go, hey, let me take a picture. Boom, take a picture, click. Next frame is him charging after me. He's running after me down the, you know, like, down his walkway, right? I'm on the sidewalk. I'm not on his property. And then you see him like this. And then next thing I know, he's he's got the uh, the grab the strap around my neck and the camera is just like you know, toss me around like this. I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! I'm like, what's going on? I just want to take your picture. And then we're literally we're in the middle of the street in Palos Verdes, a small residential street. We're like kind of struggling, and then like the battery falls out of my camera, like the motor drive. I'm going, oh crap! And then finally lets me go. Then he walks over towards my car, my personal car at that time. I was an intern. And he's like fumbling with like my with my license plate, like he's going to try to take it off. So I go over there, I jump on him, and I pull him off. And then we we get our legs tangled. I end up falling on my camera. At that time, I had a Nikon F two S B, which is a beautiful camera. I ended up falling on that thing, right? And the thing just like just literally broke in half. Oh, so, so you know. So my assignment was, as an intern, I got, I got attacked. I got a broken camera. I got a tore-up knee right here with, you know, the pant leg. And I'm thinking, what the hell just happened? You know, what's going on? So I get in my car, I go back. I go back to the office, explain to the editor, and blah, 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 you know. And um, so they, they took some um, uh, legal action against the guy and placed a lien on his property and do this, all this other stuff. And just a bunch of legal stuff happened. But they ended up uh, getting me a new camera, and I got ended up getting a Nikon F3 with the motor drive and the Nikon battery pack too out of that because you know my camera got destroyed. 
Wow, so, not bad for a beating. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, do you want me to fall in the other camera? <laughs> are there any other uh, shady there, characters you want yeah, me to? Yeah, is there, any, is there anything else I could break? And maybe you can just... So I got a hole in my jeans, though. Can we get those replaced? Yeah, so, you know, my entire life, okay, my entire life is someone, like, beating me up. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I can't believe you guys are wrestling. He was an older guy too, but he was scrappy, and he was like, he had me by the straps on the camera, and I couldn't get my like head out of that thing because he was like, <laughs> he's got up, you right? hog tied up, thrown around, and we're like, you know, struggling. And I remember uh, um, distinctly as we we're doing that, a car just like slowly driving by. The woman's like looking at us. I'm like this. I'm like no, like like help. And she just like took off. <laughs> And then we get tangled up, and I fall. And when, when I fell on my camera, I was more upset about that than actually getting attacked. That I, you know, I broke my camera. That's such a photographer thing. You had rather gotten punched in the eye than snapped the camera. Yeah, it was a Nikon F2 sure. SB. It was it was a beautiful with the photomic finder. It was just it was a beautiful camera. It had the motor drive on it. The thing was a beast, you know. God, I mean, what? Do you know what kind of vertical video sensation you would be right now? Someone would have gone by, shot some vertical video, mm -hmm. would have gone viral, and there you are getting choked out by some old guy on some dirt road. It was crazy. It was a crazy. Um, it was a crazy moment. And I, the thing is, I'm surprised I can remember so much of it so vividly. Well, um, it's traumatizing. How many times have you well, been attacked on assignments? Well, I mean, you, you show up at like protests and stuff, and you know, you get hit by cops. Yes. That's a little bit different. Right. That's a little bit different. But not your subject. Not, no, you don't have the subject chasing after right. you. Right. When was the last time Halle Berry put you in a headlock? Well, let's see. <laughs> okay, once, but you asked for it. <laughs> no, no, not, not, nothing like that ever happened with a subject, you know. I mean, you, you had some people who would, uh, oh, at the Daily News, there was one time um, uh, up in Woodland Hills. Um, there was, you know, the flooding with the major storms and stuff. So I was there with a reporter and we're shooting pictures and some homeowner, because they were like, you know, um, boarding up their windows or trying to fix their roofs or something. He came down with a hammer, brandishing a hammer, like swinging at us. You guys get the hell out of here. Blah, blah, blah. We don't want you to take pictures here. Yeah, like, I'm like, okay, man. So that was, that happened. Oh, Jesus. And then. You don't want to mess and, with a hammer. And another neighbor down there. They didn't want pictures taken because during that time, I guess, you know, there were, um, like, a lot of the people, homeowners would leave, and they didn't want, like, looters going in there. Right. right? So they're like, D you know, we don't want you, like, you know, publicizing this, right? But uh, you could have just told us that. You don't have to chase us with a hammer. Yeah, like, he's worried about his house being washed like away. And yeah, but you don't go, yeah, but you don't go swinging a freaking hammer at someone, you know? I mean, come on, especially some guy, you know. You can camera. look kind of shady, all those cameras hanging around. But I was there with the reporter, too. Oh, reporters. <laughs> and then there was another woman, another neighbor in the background. Oh, my God. <laughs> she just decided to pipe up when this is over. And she's like, in the back, she goes, and I got a gun, too. <laughs> like, jeez. <laughs> I got a gun, too. At that point, you know, we're, the reporter and I, was, we're just like, okay, it's just time for us to leave. Let's just get out of here. We're going to just go to another neighborhood. Just leave this one. I got a raging case of herpes. <laughs> God so. almighty. We're, okay, so. You're Did any, anything like that happen to you? Uh, a couple times, okay. but not not hammers and stuff. I've had people get upset. Getting upset, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's happened, that's happened. Uh, funerals, I, I was yeah. doing the 
Newport police officer, uh. and they still to this day don't know how he died. It was kind of shady, just all of a sudden got shot in his car kind of thing, and there's all kinds of weird stuff. But I remember shooting it, and we're down at the pond, and the cops, you know, you're there, you're yeah. on assignment. Yeah, yeah. And so they just got yeah. upset, and you're trying to do your thing, and you're trying to be respectful. Yep. You know, you're keeping your distance, and still those guys are on edge. And someone just got all up in my yeah. face and gave me the old, and you just kind of put your hands up and you let your cameras kind of, yeah. you just kind of do that. I understand. I understand. Wow. You don't even make eye contact. It's like a bear. You just kind of look big and back away. It's kind of like, ah. but you're outnumbered too. Cause yeah. every damn police department <laughs> yeah. state is there. So what are you going to do? Argue with the guy from yeah. Mendocino about yeah. taking the picture. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, <laughs> just don't want to do it. Just say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You're just, right. Just back I apologize. Up, you know? I apologize. Yes, you know, those, and those awesome. Those assignments are terrible. You know, like the among the worst that you can do. Oh you yeah, know, grieving. Yeah, you know, and, and and you've done this. The fire ones where you're tr- like just like the guy oh, the flooding. Oh my god, with you're trying sh- to shoot stuff and you're, what? people has burned homes and stuff. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so, so horrible. You know, it was uh, Laguna. Was it whatever ninety something whatever? And I, you're up there and you're you're there like two or three days later, and these people have nothing but a chimney. Yeah, you've yeah. seen those photos. Yes, yes. And they're digging through trying to find stuff and. You're sent on that assignment. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'd much rather have been here when it was 150 degrees and unable to make pictures than today, high noon, and it's, you're sifting yeah, through. Yeah, it's, it's horrible because, oh. you, you know, you're there at like at, at a the worst, probably the worst possible time in this person's life, you know. They've lost and, 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 everything. And you're there and, you know, and it feels horrible. I don't know how you rationalize that other than to say, you know what, you're just trying to document history, but also at the same time, you just have to be very sensitive about the subject because, you know, it's their home, it's their life. Um, And I mean, I remember everybody telling me, you know, you know, give your distance, keep your distance. But then like a Bruce Strong would be like, well, get right up in there. And and it's, you, you got this weird dance. You've done it. It's a weird dance of like, you want to get a little closer. You want to get a little closer. You want to show the whole thing, but then you don't want to get too close. And you're not sure where that that personal space becomes 20 feet or six. Yeah. And it's it's rough. Well, the most, like, um, the the saying that I heard at very, very early on in my career is like, you know, you're a human being first, a journalist second. Right. And so whenever I go on these things, before I tell you, like when homeowners are around, I always ask, I tell them who I'm with. It's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry. And, you know, is it okay if I take some photos? And if they say no, I just move on. Right. Because, you know, I, I'm not going to have a discussion with them, you know, to try to get pictures of them. It's like, right. you know, I, this is horrible. I don't want to be here either. Uh, you know, if they don't want me to take pictures, I'll just move on. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, how would you how would you feel if you're home? You've yeah. got nothing. Yeah. yeah. You've got literally nothing. And then someone shows up with a camera, you know. So you got to you got yeah, you gotta put yourself in the same in in your subject's right. shoes. And, and they start, Oh, so what's your name? What city do you live in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, okay. Uh-huh. I'm gonna put you in the paper tomorrow. And then the reporter shows up, it's like, Oh, can we get a No. No. <laughs> Those are always tough. And that always seems to be early in the career, too. It kind of, like, really sets you off. I mean, I was, like, three or four years in, all of a sudden, freaking covering forest fires in Laguna. Multi-million dollar homes. Burnt to the ground. I I remember that one. That was 94, 95, I think. Yeah. It was early. And it was brutal. Because all those homes, like, they didn't have a chance. 
They all went up, that whole hillside, that whole canyon. Yeah. I had Katata on it, the podcast he was talking about. He came in on a Zodiac onto the beach. They came in from like Newport wow. and Zodiac in. He was like, I, the only time he felt like he was a Navy SEAL, he's like on a Zodiac and it's bouncing around and they boom, right onto the beach. And he's like, the whole canyon's on fire. And he's like, uh, I, I remember I saw that. Um, I think it was 93 because I was at that time I was engaged and we're coming back from a trip. I think it was coming back from Hawaii. <laughs> we're landing it back at LAX and we could see the flames. Right. And so like the, that same evening after we landed, I just got my steering gear and I headed out to Orange County to shoot some of the stuff. Right. And I uh, spent the night there. I didn't leave until like in the morning. Yeah. It, it's, isn't it funny at those events? It seems like everybody in the world shows up. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're an LA County Valley photographer at the time, and you're going all the way to deep Orange County to cover that. Yeah. Because in your blood, you're like, oh, this is a major yeah, event. It's a major event. You know, you I, gotta, I gotta cover this. Yeah. And your paper's like, eh, we'll run one, yeah. two APs there, yeah. UP, whatever. But you go, I I hear the calling, the bat signal. I must make picture. Isn't that amazing to have that mm -hmm. instinct? What, what dentists don't have that, you know? They don't hear a cavity. <laughs> Although now, a, you know, later in my career, I probably won't do that unless I'm assigned to do that. Because, um, as you know, when you've spent, you know, near your entire career going like at 100%, right? A little bit later in life, you just want to slow down a bit. You know, you just want to enjoy the times that you're away from that, away from all right. of that, away from the camera. So, yeah. Um, from, I mean, you, you literally had young photographer blood. You were 20s. Oh, yeah. You would have gone to hell and back. Uh, what, what's the term they use for like, uh, like, you know, like young, uh, like police recruits or whatever? It's like they call them blue flames. Right. The burning the hottest, right? <laughs> no, because like, you know, yeah, they're, they're all revving to go that they fart blue flames. <laughs> Well, what was your what was your experience like then? You're ten months or ten weeks after that it ends. You're not being attacked anymore. Mm -hmm. What's your next step? What are you thinking? Well, at, are you willing to leave at that at that point? Then I got um, that's that's when I finished the internship in '87. Then I freelanced for the Daily News for about another year. Okay, I was, I was now getting... why just the Daily News? Because that's who I started with. That's, you know, uh, Tom Jago worked there. So, the, yeah, I had it in with them. They knew me. Um, so I was there. Did was, you ever peek over at the Times or the Examiner anywhere else? Not AP? Not, not, not at that time, no. So you were loyal to them? I was loyal to whoever was paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what you were getting paid back then per assignment? I, I don't know. But, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where you couldn't li obviously live on just that now, you know. No, I, I don't. I don't remember what it was, but it was maybe like, oh, I have no idea, one fifty, one seventy, something like that. It was like less than two hundred bucks a day, I think. Okay, but you got mileage too, right? <laughs> so I have no idea. Remember, this is nineteen. But you had to. You this had is nineteen eighty-seven, right? You had a, you had your film. You had mm -hmm. to process it. You had to make your print. But actually, they gave me film, so I would shoot okay. shoot their film, use their processor, you know, use their darkroom. Right. So. Um, I don't know whatever, you know, IRS rules are involved, but, you know, I was using... But the, that's what it was back then. Yeah, that's what it was back then. Yeah. 
I mean that there there was the IRS was totally goofy the way things were set up, I and mean, that's why the staffers. Yeah. And were, I I did that for about a year. I freelanced for them about a year. Then in 1988, they offered me a, a full time position, um, working out of the Glendo Bureau. Were now during that year though, were you ever looking to go elsewhere? Utah no, no, or Phoenix? Any, no, like, did you, be, you no. were just gonna try to at the make yeah, it work, make it work at the Daily News, even if it's just freelance, right? Because. It was perfect. I didn't have to go anywhere. It was in the valley. You know, I lived in the valley. Were you still uh, living at home? At that time, I was still living at home. Okay. Um, and, you know, and so it was perfect. It was, everything was in the valley. Um, you know, I got along with everyone. Um, and, you know, I, I shot a pretty good variety of assignments as well. Okay. So I was, I was happy. I'm like, wow, this is perfect. So there and was, then after there was that, no peeking over the fence. No, no. I just, I didn't feel like I needed to because the Daily News is a big, you know, pretty big, sizable newspaper. I'm going, hey, this is a, you know, decent company. Decent there was relationships company. there too, yeah, right? Yeah, so you exactly. Kinda... So it just felt comfortable. So it just, it worked. That's good. So when they offer you that job, are you stunned, happy, joyful? I was stunned. I was happy. I was joyful. <laughs> That's a great card. <laughs> Welcome to your new job. You're stunned, you're happy, and you're joyful. And what did they say? What, you, was it a phone call? They call you into the office? Um, I think I think I was I think I got called into the office. And they said, "Hey, you know what? Um, you know we're hiring, blah blah blah, and you're better doing a good job. And we want to offer your job at our, uh, the the Glendo Bureau because at that point they're opening up satellite offices too, mm -hmm. right? So I was covering like the Glendo, Burbank, Pasadena area, and that was sort of like my my area. And I did that for about a year and a half, maybe a year-ish, two-ish. Okay. And you're all in. I was all in. I'm a yeah. full-time employee. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we rented a, an office space, and we set up a, a darkroom over there. I had one of those um, those drum AP transmitters. Oh, my. For, like, is I, you know, I would stay out there a process film. I would process color film out there, too. Well, actually, there was a lab that we'd just drop off color films, and we'd just scan the negatives and make prints or whatever. Wow. And they put it on the drum scanner. And remember, he had to send forty-five, th three, three of them for the color. Yes, the, the three, three separations. Scans. Yeah. And then if you got a hit, you had to resend. You know, oh, whatever one. So he did all that. There goes the magenta. Yeah. I mean, it was good. It was a good learning experience. But that one year out there, it was so hectic, so busy. It was just me. I just, I was just actually surprisingly, I was getting kind of burned out out there. And for I mean, me, you must have been going twenty-four-seven. Pretty much. Um, and um, the craziest day, the craziest day was I had nine assignments, and that was inc including a piece of wild art. <laughs> Holy crap. What the hell were you doing? Like every 15 minutes, they had an assignment. And then after, you know, when that day was over, it's like I laid in on you know, the editors and said, you know, I can't do this. I can't do nine assignments on a regular basis. And so this what the hell do they have you covering? Bunch of stuff. Good Lord. Bunch of stuff that the reporters were writing, and, and somehow everything just sort of got backed up into this one day, and nine assignments. Literally, they were like about 15 minutes. So I'd show up. I'd be there for like two minutes. <laughs> Should I have bang, a bang, friend? Bang. Seriously, and then just leave. You go to the next time. It was all in the Glendale Burbank area, so you know they're all reasonably close. But, but still. You just, you're just gunning and running. Yeah, you're not really making anything at that point. No. You still have all the back end work where you got to get mm -hmm. it all. You got to get it all processed and printed and transmitted. Oh. It was awful. Jesus. But luckily, after about a year or so, 
they brought me into the main office, and that was much better because you're just doing a, just a greater variety of assignments. Right. Yeah. You know, you're doing pro sports. You're doing sports. You're doing celebrity portraits. You know, you're doing entertainment concerts and things. So you just had a, a much bigger, greater mix of um, assignments. Yeah. It, when you when you get into the main office, right, you feel more like you're now at a newspaper exactly. instead of like yes. just the meat grinder of exactly. Burbank. Exactly. Just being, hold on, another assignment, another assignment. But you know what? I knew that area so well, I could have started a, like a tour guide <laughs> business out there. Did you not need a Thomas guide at that point? No, 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 no. After after a while, it's like you knew everywhere, and you know, like everything. Yeah, you knew where every cul-de-sac, stop mm-hmm. sign. Every alley, all the shortcuts, you know, all of that. I could have been a tour guide. It's like, in this little corner right here... <laughs> What were you driving back then? It was a, I had a company car. Okay. It, it was a Dodge Aries K. <laughs> People listening to this, Google Dodge Aries K, 1988. Was it a beautiful car? Google it. I will have to. <laughs> Frightening, was it? What was your gear? What were you set up? What was your... Uh, it, was, it was two cameras. At that time, I had, a I think, a... I don't remember. It was like I had an F3. Yeah, I had an F3 and then an F2N. Okay. Right? There was right. like two cameras and then a couple of len- We didn't have a lot of zoom lenses back then. They so sucked it, anyway. Oh, they sucked. So I had a 24-35, I think uh, maybe a 50 macro. Zoom lenses were one, literally one, trash. Yeah, 105, back. 180, and a 300 28. Like that 180 was way sharper than any Zoom oh, semi 200. The, or... the 105 was like oh, sh- yeah. like the one of the sharpest lenses I kind of ever made. The 105 25. Right. It yeah. Like, it was like too sharp. You couldn't shoot photograph women with it. No. It, was like, it, it would it show was, their soul. It was so everything. <laughs> it was 4K before 4K. It was, 4, it was 8K before yeah. 4K. Yeah. <laughs> it was that lens was so sharp at 24 or 25. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Oh man. Yeah, beautiful Nikon lenses. I, lo- I love the Nikon glass. Those first couple of years, did you kind of, did you it, feel like you were advancing or were you kind of stale? Um, towards the end of my stint in the bureau, I felt like it was getting stale because everything was sort of like the same. I was okay. doing like, like you know, the same stuff over and over repeat, again. Repeat, rinse yeah. and repeat. And so, and so that's why at that time, even though I loved, you know, working for the Daily News and being a staffer, if I didn't get moved to the, the main office, I would have probably just quit, maybe just freelance or something. Oh boy, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want that. No. So when you get to the you get to the main office, do you feel like you're able to spread your wings and then you're kind of got some growth? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. And the thing about the daily is what was great about that was it was a smaller it was a smaller paper, and we were always the underdog, right? Yeah, so always. we always had to work harder than the LA Times, right, or try to in most instances. And so because of that, it just instilled this great work ethic in you. It just made you work harder, you know, and just really fight for that image and just do your best and, you know, pull out your creativity. So for me, the Daily News, the almost 11 years I spent in the Daily News was uh, just a fantastic training ground because you did everything there. You did everything. We you did, really we, did, didn't you? Yeah, we did some light travel, too. Um and so did you get out of California or was it in California kind of travel? It, it was primarily in California, okay. like, like with the Oakland Hills fire back in nine, like in 1990, maybe or thereabouts. I got sent up there. Um, but the fire was out by the time I got up there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and, that Dodge can only go so fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so just the all the stuff that we were, I was, you know, shooting the pro sports and just. Yeah, because we had Raiders and Rams. And we had the we Raiders had and Lakers. Rams. So we had Didn't Lakers. Have, we, had, we, we had Clippers, too. We had the Clippers. Kings were still in purple and gold. Until we had Kings. And then we also had. Um, Dodgers, of course. Dodgers and Angels. UCLA. UCLA, USC. Right. Um, so it was fantastic. Just there was a little bit of everything to do. It was great. I was thinking, like, when was the first time I met you? And it might have been one of those crazy Tonawaki poker matches. But you know, I probably. But the thing is, I've I saw your name when you were sh- shooting for the Orange County Register. I'm going, man, this guy is good. I'm like, holy crap, you know? It's like so. You were one of the uh, the people that I, you know, I saw the pictures and I recognized. I, I said, you know, this guy is really, really good. Well, it, it was like what you were saying. It was constantly competing against the times. Mm-hmm. And so Jody Steck was the DP at the time. And she would say, like, go out and, and whoop their ass. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she was very just like, not vulgar about it, but she yeah, yeah. was like a drill sergeant. Like, go get them. Damn it. Daily News, we were like that too. We're like, right. <laughs> and the four LA Times, we would always gang up on them. It's like, we got to go there. We got to beat them. You know, come oh. on, go there. This is what we got to do. And yeah. And I'm, it was fun. It was fun that challenge having, you know, it, it motivated and inspired you, kind of kicked you in the butt, you know, to do the best you can. Yeah. Because you're going up against the big boys. Yeah. So I remember I did the Rose Bowl game with Mike Goulding, mm-hmm. Dan Anderson, Bruce Strong, Chambers might have been there. Nick Kuhn was the. Lab tech, uh, Kenny might have been lab teching. Mike Pilgrim was editing, and Pilgrim gives this basically like pep talk. Yeah, Prevent Cyber Save Ryan kind of like we're gonna take the LA Times and we're gonna shove it and stick it. <laughs> and Mike and I are former football players, and we're like yeah, yeah. And I'm watching like nice, sweet Dan Anderson and Bruce Strong are just kind of like oh, well, that's not nice. And this, Mike and I are fired up, foaming at the mouth, ready to go kill somebody and get worse, Gary. I'll break his head open. It was great, but that's what it was like, going up against that behemoth. And then when we see the paper in the Daily News, we see that, you know, like like the next day, and when we look at him and go, oh, our picture was better. We'd be like high-fiving in the office. <laughs> yeah, We beat the LA Times, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I feel so bad for him. Three days in a row, I don't know how it worked out. Me and Al Shaman went like three days in a row. Mm-hmm. I was like, we had a Laker game, like some weird arena football league. Do you remember that? When arena football, the, the Barracudas or whatever, some crap and something else like ducks or whatever. And three days in a row and three days in a row, I smoked him. And I see him like a week later and he's like, dude, I, no, he was like, Dude, I'm getting yelled at. He's like, take it easy on me. I'm like, I'm just trying trying to survive, man. I got my director of photography yeah. chewing my ass yeah, out. Yeah, you have that motivation, and it's it's good to have that motivation and challenge, you know? You got to do that. You have that have that drive. Right. Someone push you and sometimes even threaten you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Matt, come back with this picture. It's the last assignment you're ever going to get. Oh, she's, definitely she gave that to me. I remember having to cover... When Nixon passed and all the presidents showed, and you know, Bush was there, Reagan was Reagan there, and Clinton, and it was the first time there were five Carter, whatever. And uh, Lauren Al got this great photo, but she gave me the assignment, the worst assignment, just go make a pretty picture. That assignment, where you're just like, oh, it'd have been so much easier if you just told me to line up the five. Yeah. Now I got to go make like 
the crying, whatever, oh. something. And I just couldn't find it. Wherever I went for five hours, I couldn't find it. She read me the riot act. But you've been those, you've, you've done that where you're just like, I'm trying. Yeah, you, you do your it's best. It's like, not there. If, if it's not there, you can't shoot a picture of it. You know? It's like, look at my film. It's not there. <laughs> you're just like, oh, God. But it was, it was so much fun back then to like have those rivalries, right? It, no, it, it was because, uh, you know, you had the Daily News, the LA Times. And for a very short period when I was working professionally, we had the Herald Examiner too. So all, right. all of us were competing. It was incredible, you know. It was just, it was so great. And then How I, was it? Tell me about that. How was it when the Daily or the Herald Examiner was around? For you, competitively, when you see that, because it becomes all of a sudden, it became a different club. Well, the, but the Hair Rex, because they folded in '89, around '89 was when I got moved into the main office. So okay. I didn't. So I was working out of the bureau primarily when the Hair Rex was still like in its last year. Right. So my, you know, professionally, I've always only experienced the Herald Examiner for like one year before they went out of business. But just seeing what they did for me was just, you know, it was great. I, I love, it was such a scrappy newspaper. I love the Herald Examiner. It was Could just, you it was see great. it or was there talk of it coming professionally at that time? The, uh, the, their their the downfall? Demise? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The writing was on the wall. Everyone knew. Everyone knew. How was that sitting around knowing that, you know, friends, writers, photographers, like their their paper was going. It was sad because, you know, we knew all the photographers and then all these photographers were going to be out of out of, um, out of of jobs and what were they going to do? And so, you know, we all felt. Um, one of them, uh, Dean Musgrove, he was a photographer mm -hmm. there. He came and became our, um, at that time, I think he was our assistant DOP, director of photography at the okay. Daily News. So we picked up, you know, one of them. And he's still there now, and I believe he's the director of photography for all of the Southern California news group papers. Right. So he, Dean is still there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. They had a big staff. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a dozen photographers or something. <sighs> to watch them all just get dispersed out and not know what's going to happen. Well, the LA Times at one point had like over 50 photographers, I think, and now we're down to what, maybe 18. Yeah. I remember when it was up to like 50. I remember, you know. Kennedy saying, oh, yeah, we've got blah, 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 blah. And you just go like, whoa. And he's like, and then there's another blah, 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 down in San Diego. And, blah, blah. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. what? San Diego? Oh, yeah, we got a bureau down there. It's like, holy crap. Yeah. Then you had Bernie Boston in Washington, D.C. Right. You know, wow. That was before Carolyn. And now, you know, she's yeah. there. I was, yeah, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. So at your time at the Daily News, was there something when you're, when you're working where you're thinking, like, okay, I'm still working for my book. Am I still trying to shoot stuff for my portfolio? At the Daily News, uh, yeah, you're uh, always shooting something for the for your portfolio because you know I was you know in my um, third now late it was through my twenties and yeah, early, Daily News, early you're, 30s. You're, you're still a twenty, yeah. right? Yeah, I got hired when I was twenty two. Yeah, I mean, you're a kid, and and you know I was there till for about eleven years, so about thirty three, so like pretty much all through my twenties. Um, that so blue flame period. The blue flame period. <laughs> so I was, everything I was shooting was for my portfolio just in case I wanted to move on or I had to go, you know, find a job somewhere else or something. So now, did everything. you give yourself a clock? Did you say, in five years I want to be out, five years I want to be at another place? Kind of, but it was sort of like a very malleable clock, you know? It was sort of squishy. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this for five years here. But after the five years, you're like, you know what? I'm having, still having a really good time. 
So I'm going to give myself, you know, another three years, you know, and just kind of push, keep pushing it back. Yeah. Cause I, I guess looking... I didn't have a reason. If, even though I was shooting for, for my portfolio, I didn't have a reason to leave or look elsewhere. Cause I was very, very happy with what I was doing there. You know, right. Was just... It was the most interesting part in the research is like your time of the daily news, all this unbelievable stuff is happening for you in front of you in your twenties, right? You've got the the, the, Rod, the Rodney King riots. Well, the earthquake, earthquake, Rodney King riots, OJ trial, <laughs> OJ, right? So like you're you're at the Daily News and big stuff is big happening. stuff is happening. So mm -hmm. that's why I asked the five year point because if you started and got it at 88, 89, you go to the big time, right? You're mm -hmm. in the bureau, yeah, yeah, out yeah. of the bureau, yeah. That five-year period is kind of at the end of OJ, and I was thinking, mm -hmm. well, were you thinking then, oh, maybe the Dallas Morning News calls, or the Miami Herald, maybe even yes. LA? Yes, yes, yes. Do that... I go elsewhere? Like, that's yes. why I gave that five-year period. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking that. At, 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 at that period, I was, I was comfortable. I was very happy there, right? But also, also like if someone had called me and said, "Hey, are you interested?" It's like I would, I would look, I would consider it. Sure, you take that yeah. call. But I, but I was very happy there. I was happy with all the stuff I was doing because I was covering all the big stuff. I mean, think about what happened in front of you before twenty-seven. Those three major things in your town, mm -hmm. yeah. not in your country or yeah. in your region. Yeah, in your town before twenty-seven, mm -hmm. you were involved in three major stories. Of that incredible. century, it was pretty incredible. Yes, I mean, so let's let's go through. When I had Todd Bigelow on, he talked about my, he, what, one of my okay, one of the riot pictures of the aerial, the helicopter photo, right, of the smoke over the skyline, like at sunset, just really beautiful. It ended up in TV Guide. TV Guide picked it up, right? <laughs> my dad was so proud of that. <laughs> it wasn't that just ended up it was on the Daily News. He was so proud that my picture from the riots of that the smoky skyline, right, ended up in TV Guide. He would he just showed all his friends. I remember we were at my my brother's um, graduation in Berkeley, and we're sitting there with other guests. And my dad looked over at like some guests and said, "He had a picture in TV Guide." I'm like, "Wait, none of that stuff." <laughs> That's just a bad, like, oh, my son won the Nobel Peace Prize. My son, he, he's on the team. For, my son had a photo on the cover of TV. No, not guy. on the cover. It was on the inside. Yeah. It was a double uh, you, truck. Yeah, you sit down, Harold. My son, TV guy. Shut it. That is such a generational thing, though. Yes, it right? was. Because your your parents probably live and died by that TV guide. Well, it was it was like you know it was a very national millions of those of uh, the TV guide you know were printed like every what every week, week every, every week. week it yeah. was the TV. It was a huge thing, right? So. It had stories. Mm -hmm. Your mother probably yep. read. There was the crossword yep. puzzle, yep. and if you wanted to know what was on TV, it was there. That was it, and, and, my, it, my, and, and my picture was there, and it was regional. <laughs> It was regional. That was the other it, thing. It had too. to be. It had to be regional, right? So that why it was even more mm -hmm. of importance. But what he was, he was so excited. He was proud of that, just because you know it's like, oh, my son is successful now. He got a picture of TV guy. He made it. Not not that he was working for the Daily News and he's got pictures printed every day, but you know what? His picture is in TV Guide. But <laughs> but like it's it's silly. We giggle about it. But if I was a parent, you'd be I, pretty excited. Huh? I would have thought, right? What was that? Probably ninety two, mm -hmm. right? 
Is that the riot? But I think the TV guide, I think that picture ran nationally, not just regionally, but right. it was a, it was it a national sure. story. So I think it ran na- yeah. in like every edition. And that must have been... That's huge. $30 million? Oh, At least. Right? Yeah, TV Guide next to Reader's Digest at that time was like like among the largest uh, circulation publication. Right. That, that, prob- that one, that photo of yours was probably seen by more people than anybody at that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. Yeah. Of, of your work <laughs> at that moment. And your father, I mean, to your father, that was like it. Like that was it. You're that's the biggest thing you could do. You're you're in a magazine I read. Yeah, that was yeah, that's, that's funny. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for you know a show, and there's my boy. I'm name. looking for the Lawrence Welk show at <laughs> seven o'clock, and well, there is. There's my son's picture. Damn it, honey, or we've made it. <laughs> this boy's gonna take care of us in our retirement this, with this photo. So. Northridge earthquake when it goes down, uh-huh. tell me where are you and how does your day unfold? That's I, your town. I was I was living in um, Park La Brea in those uh, towers, the apartments, the oh. towers, and I was like on the sixth floor. So when it went off, but the building was swinging. I thought it was going to die. I thought the building was going to like, collapse. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sixth floor. Yeah, that baby must have gone from side to side. Oh, it did. The um, the blinds, they're like they're almost going horizontal. There's like swing like this. And there's like, you know, the transformers are blown up outside. So you'd like see big sparks and flashes. And so, um, you know, and I was, I was engaged at that time because we were supposed to be married. It happened in January and we we're supposed to be married in April. <laughs> okay. So, so you're engaged at the time of Laguna being burnt down and yeah. Northridge dropping into the hole of the earth. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, we got ourselves together, and that once it stopped, uh, just kind of take stock of everything, make sure you know everything's okay. And then our neighbor came knocking on the door, and you know she was all terrified. So um, my at that time, my fiance, and you know brought her in. They sat down, just kind of like you know took care of each other, and uh, checked up on neighbors, make sure everyone's okay. Um, and then, you know, everyone was frightened after that. I told my fiance at that time, it's like, I got to get to work now. And so I just, was that I just your first out. big earthquake that you remember? Yeah, that was huge. I mean, we've, we've had some uh, other ones where you feel it. Right. But nothing like that. Wasn't there one in 71, 72? 72 was a Silmar quake. Silmar quake. Yeah. Right. Do you remember that one? I, I wasn't here for that. Um, okay. It, uh, we came to the country or came to California. Yeah. After the summer. Okay, so you missed that one. Yeah. So this is your real first big, oh, yeah. big boy. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's terrifying. It was awful. It's hard to explain to people, huh? Mm-hmm. You think basically, well, when you're in a high rise like that um, and it's swaying, yeah. it's uh, it's pretty terrifying. I was also here for the... Um, Whittier? An, an, uh, yeah, the Whittier quake in 1987, the, yeah. 86. I was, it was in the morning and I was walking onto campus at Cal State Northridge, right? And all of a sudden, the land just starts to, like, just sort of, like, you know, undulating like this. Because, you know, you can see across campus. I'm like, oh, my God, it's an earthquake. That's a trip. <laughs> yeah, and I was, by, I was by the administration building. I parked. I'm walking across campus, and the land is just undulating like this. And like, oh, my God, that that's a trip. Been. That was a trip. And everyone was just, like, you know, like, stop and go, oh, my God, that was an earthquake. And so um, I headed over to the school newspaper, and I told them, hey, you know, what's going on? They said, yeah, this thing's happening, this thing's happening. So I ended up, like, driving with another photographer out to Whittier to shoot the photograph of damage, uh, like, around Whittier 
So that was one of the first school assignments where we actually went off campus, you know, to cover something that happened. Wow. Yeah, it was big. It was huge. So that so Northridge is your second big one, but being in a skyscraper, at that's least that's, six stories. Yeah, that's because that's, yeah, because the, the that's whole, a roller coaster. Ride. The building I think is like maybe ten, maybe ten stories or something like that. So the whole thing was just swing really good, you know. And so Whoa. you're just like you, you literally. I thought I was going to die. Did you? Was that your kind of a? Yeah, I'm going. I'm like, this is it. You know, the building's going to collapse, and I'm going to die. Because that's like what four in the morning, four thirty or something like yeah, that. Four, it was still like, dark. It's four thirty, yeah. So you wake up and you're just thinking, hold on. Well, because I, you know the other quakes I've been, it just it sort of happens, then it kind of stops. But this one just kept going. Yeah. And so that's a, that was the frightening part. That was the part I remember, like just sitting there going, hold on. Yeah. So um, I, my fiance and I were both in the bedroom doorway, like literally, like kind of like bracing up oh. against like this, right? You guys got even tried to get up. Yeah. Whoa. And, and then, but the thing is, it's rocking. Right. Or, just like that. Just like that. <laughs> it's rocking back and forth. And then the blinds are just like fluttering almost horizontally. And then you see the sparks and stuff and um, car alarms going off. You're just thinking, man, to see, you know, it's the apocalypse now. Right. That would have been one hell of a ride down. Yeah. So you kiss and say, sweetie, I'll be back when I'm back. And you just went into full photojournalism yeah, mode? Yeah. Well, what I did after that was I checked up my parents, make sure they were okay. Okay. So the good good son. And then, after, and then after that, I drove over to... Um, what was their response? Uh, they were frightened, but their house was intact. It was, it was, it was fine. Okay. And so, you know, they were, they were terrified, but I said, you know, I just, um, you know, just take care of Because that's their probably yeah. their first one. Yeah, the big one like that. Yeah. And then after that, I um, drove over to my sister. She was living, she was pregnant at the time. Just check up on her and her husband and just make sure they were okay. Well, aren't you just a good Samaritan? So, um, that's what I, those were the <laughs> things I did first. And then after that, I started going out looking out for pictures and did stuff. Did you have gear with you or do you have it in the car? What's your, like... Go. I, I had it in the car, so I just it was just ready to go. Just jump in and go. Isn't that? Aren't you happy? You had like your double A batteries yeah. and all your film, and you're yeah. ready to go. And you're not like, yeah. I gotta get to get some double A's. Yeah. Yep. So off you went. Off I went. Your, what'd you have film wise? Um, Black and white, four hundred. No, no, no. It was color. I think color. Like the Fuji, the Fuji press packs or something. Okay. So it was ninety four. So I think it was we were shooting the Fuji press packs. Okay. Boom. And you just went to go find anything you could yeah, to show. Yeah, and and it was still dark, so you couldn't really see anything. Right. So we had we had someone else, um, like Tina Gerson. She was shooting like the fire that broke out on Balboa Boulevard, right? So she was there, and I was kind of like driving around the valley trying to find you know something, but it was dark at that point. Is anybody on the roads other than first responders, cops, firemen? Who's uh, on the road? No, no, very, very. It was very little traffic. Um, just some first responders and. Um, but traffic was very, very light. Like, and so what goes through your head? Because today it's so different than you're thinking, how am I going to get a decent exposure of anything? Something like that. And then, like, you know, um, um, is the office still standing? How, if Once I get pictures, how are we going to process the film? Because we weren't digital at that time. Yeah, and you don't know, right? You don't know. You don't know if that thing's all mm -hmm. fallen, collapsed. Yeah. So... There was a lot of uncertainty, but you just went out and just, you know, try to shoot pictures. And um, and then you get back to the office, and luckily it was standing. Isn't that funny to think about how disconnected we were back then? Like now how connected you would be in the yeah. first 60 seconds? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be getting 
you know, Twitter alerts. But, and but the office, and, how the email, office would yeah, contact yeah, you yeah, now. Yeah. Brrr, all this information. Yeah. And then you were just like hoping a prayer. Hoping a prayer. I hope the office is still standing so I can process my film. Yeah. And if I don't, then I got to hope that AP or somebody else has their offices standing. Yeah, maybe we can go process the film there and put it on the wire, you know. So right. it was just, it was crazy. Because you didn't know if you were in the worst spot or the least amount of damage spot. You didn't know. No one knew because it was so early and we didn't have, um, we didn't have social media. And so the only way you would get words, word out was when police and fire calls reports came in. And then, you know, like the news media would sort of sift it out and say, okay, this is the worst over here. This happened over here. You know, that's, and you would listen to AM radio. Right. And because they, they would distill everything. And the four in the clock in the morning thing, or when, when it was yeah, so early in the morning, yeah. was also that weird cloak that we just didn't know. We couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. It so if it happened at noon, okay, you could see fire, smoke, and damage. Street, street lights that were out. Yeah. And so as you're approaching intersections, right, you're looking for other headlights, make sure, like, you know, um, there wasn't anyone coming the other direction. Right. Who decided they weren't going to stop. Sure. So I mean, that's the tragic accident with the CHP officer on yeah, the motorcycle. Yeah. He did not know the freeway collapsed. Collapsed. He's yeah. riding on his bike and he falls. Yeah, to it's his horrible. Death. It's horrible. So, what's the first images you make that day? I don't remember because um, I think it was actually I think it was near around Northridge. Because my sister was living in Northridge, and so she was the last person I visited. So I was driving around as I was waiting for it to get light. So I was, um, I'm sure, hovering around Northridge looking for stuff there. And then eventually I ended up at Cal State Northridge with all the students who were, like, in the field, kind of huddled. Right. Dorm um, kids, I, I, right? Yeah, dorm kids who were out of the dorm. Because um, that all, place got Yeah, left. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The parking structure collapsed there. Uh, some of the uh, dorm was slightly damaged with like a small fire because you could see like smoke yep. going off in the distance. So I, sh- I since I was in Northridge, I kind of stayed around there and I figured, you know, other photographers would be in wherever they were and they would just kind of work that area. So. I had a buddy that was going to school there at the time and he was in a dorm and he was on the second bunk and he broke his arm flying. Oh, no. Because, you know. Yeah. You, you, that's why I joked, like, or said you were able to get to the yeah. doorway. Well, no, no, but yeah, but your your legs are all wobbly because yeah. you're just trying to walk over there. He and went, the building felt boom. like building felt like literally that felt like it was going to like, collapse. It's pitching, yeah. You know, and you're trying to work your way. It's like you're on a um, like a, a like a tossing ship in an ocean. That's what it felt like, and you're trying to get into the doorway. So you kind of like brace yourself and wedge yourself in there so you don't get thrown around and hopefully, you know stuff doesn't fall in your head or yeah. if the building collapses or whatever. So you start working the campus area. Yeah. Uh, Northridge area and campus. Right. Yeah. So it started looking for pictures and, and I remember I was um, there in the field and a bunch of students were gathered there and as the sun was coming up. And so I just shot a bunch of pictures out there. I was on the field, um, like one of those um, intramural fields. Right. Yeah. The students were gathering. Wow. That must've been amazing. Especially that, did you have any weirdness to feel like this was your school too? Your yeah, valley guy. Well, that, that's the thing. This is my campus, you know. And then to see, like, the, you know, the parking structure collapsed and see the dorm on fire. Yeah, you've probably parked in that structure how many times? Well, when I went there, we didn't have a structure. It was just kind of like the the flat open parking. So it, was the, it, the structure was new. Was that was the um, wow a new structure too? Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus! Somebody wanted to check on those codes. Was it the area where they used to call the old dog track? That area out there, there used to be a dog track out there, and the football team used to play out there. 
That I think was maybe uh, Devonshire Downs, which is okay. North, North Campus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. The, but the dorms were like near there, just south of that football field. So okay. it was kind of like that sort of clinical brick looking building. Yeah. But it's, it's different now. Everything's changed now. Well, they had to basically rebuild the whole place. Mm-hmm. New gym, yeah. new buildings, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So your day, what's it like? Is it was it just, just it was just long. It's basically hectic. Yeah, you're shooting as much as you could, and then after that, you you had to take all the film back into drive into Woodland Hills, you know, um, and then get all the stuff processed and printed for for uh, for the paper. If you look back at it now, right, that's your first big natural disaster kind of thing. How did Young Me Young do? Did you feel like you did a good job for your first kind of no. holy crap moment? No, you don't, no. It's hard to prepare. No, because I was, I had too much of a, seemed like a personal stake in that. I was worried about my fiance, obviously. I was worried about my parents. Okay. I was more, cons- I was worried about my sister, my pregnant sister at that time. So in the back of my mind, I was worried about, all my loved ones for their safekeeping and I'm out here trying to work. And so I was just, you know, I was kind of torn. Kind of cloudy. Yeah. A little bit cloudy, you know, and there's all this devastation stuff going on and you're like, should I be out here or should I be back with my fiance? Should I be with my parents? Should I help, you know, help my sister see if she needs help? Right. So it was, it was difficult because my mind was kind of out of it, you know. It was my mind was like in three different places or four different places. We count the devastation at once, so it was that was very difficult. Yeah, that's kind of hard to turn off, especially when you got a fiance, mm-hmm. you got a sister that's got to have a baby. Yeah, pregnant. No, no, no. And mom and dad are sitting there going, "What the hell?" And my sister was eight months pregnant because my my nephew was born the f- following month. <laughs> wow! So she could have busted some water and had mm-hmm. a baby right yeah. there. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, so, so she's not like first trimester. Don't worry about so it. So I had a lot on my mind, and so it wasn't like fully into doing this. You know, it was just um, you know a lot of it was just worrying about the welfare of my you know my family. Did you kind of feel like you were just going through the paces and not really actually making your best, the best pictures? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that. I just felt a little bit removed, emotionally removed because uh, my mind was somewhere else, you know? Right. How was, long did you work that story for? A couple of weeks? It seemed like it was constant, like chaos. It, yeah. Yeah. It went on for, it went on for a while just because, you know, with, damaged buildings that had to be torn down and then rebuilt and everything. And I'm like with the school, um, the Northridge, that shopping mall, their parking structure collapsed. So there's a lot of rebuilding that was going on that we covered. So the story went on for a while after that too. Right. It's it's in your guys' backyard. So it's a big deal for you guys. Yeah. When the next big poop hits the fan, right? You get the Rodney King riots. Oh Yeah. How do you... Well, actually, the Rodney King happened first. It was 92. Well, right. Okay, so the Rodney King incident, mm-hmm. right? How do you guys deal with that? How are you guys covering that and then the trial? Well, on the day of the court verdict, I was in Simi Valley at the courthouse. Okay. Um, and the AP was there and, like, another photographer there, too. So, you know, we shot... We got the verdict, the not guilty verdicts of the cops. And that was weird that it got moved into the valley for you guys, right? Because it happened in the city. It happened in the silly city, but then but they, they moved, moved it to, to the, Simi, Simi Valley. Right. The Simi right. Valley Courthouse. And there was all kinds of weirdness. I, a lot of cops lived up there. Yeah. They put it in your basically your backyard yeah, again. Yeah. 
So it's a good favor for you. Another, yeah. another national incident in your backyard. Yeah. So on the day the verdict happened, you know, I was inside the, um, I was inside the courthouse. Um, we're in the courtroom with the AP and a couple of stars shooting pictures. And then little by little, we just started hearing like from the TV guys, right? That, that they would hear from their stations and things that um, there's like riots happening, pockets, small pockets of disturbances happening around the city. And we're like, oh no, that, it's starting now. And we had no idea how bad it was going to get. Did you guys talk about it a week prior? Like, if this happens, this is our plan? Yeah, they, they gave us, we got, we they handed out like, you know, things like, um, I think like goggles, like some some personal safety gear, right, for um, things. But we didn't know if they were going to, like, have curfews and, you know, like, shut the streets down, like, at 6 p.m. and stuff. And we had, didn't know how bad it was going to be. I mean, it was citywide. It wasn't like a, like a protester at this intersection, right. and then it was done. Yeah, I mean, it, was it wasn't all, a Van Nuys yeah, and someone's it was, getting upset. It was all over the city. So we, uh, I didn't, we, didn't un, we didn't realize how um, widespread it was going to be. Um, so that was very different too. You know, that was. Um, did they give you anything other than goggles? And like, did you get a helmet? Did you give? I, I a think vest? we, we might have gotten helmets and stuff too. Um, and then we would find, like, we had you know um, off-duty police officers or security guards right mm-hmm. so some of them like brought in like their old bulletproof vests and said hey if this fits you put this on big and old thick like, plate yeah yeah and so like you know, they that was us, the first time I wore a bulletproof yeah, vest so they gave us like our old bulletproof vests and stuff and like okay I'll, I'll put this on but man bullets but bullets are flying maybe you don't want to be there yeah but you don't know like when yeah. that, that yeah. week it was bonkers yeah. you don't know if you were at the right intersection what you were doing mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, on, on the first day, no, the second day of it, right? Second day was the, was the uh, whole um, that intersection at Flor- Florence Normandy, right? No, that was the day of the that was the day of the verdict. Oh, that was the day of the verdict. Right, okay. that's All when right. it starts going down. They okay. pulled up, pulled gentlemen out of the yeah, truck. Yeah, 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 okay. Football, somebody, whatever. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah. I can't remember the whole incident. That's the day of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then when this... Day two is kind of like, that's when the city kind of burnt down. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, like, when that happened at the intersection of Florence and Normandy and just how... Uh, and beat the truck driver, that's when, you know, it was televised on live TV. Right. The helicopter shots were like, oh, my... At that, that point, we realized, man, this is really, really bad now. So, we realized just how, how bad this is. Was, was yeah, it down. went from protest to riot, like, real yeah. fast. Yeah. So, what was your guys' game plan? Um... Uh, different coverage on the second day. Well, we had people out on the first day. I was still at the courthouse. We had people out on the first day covering the different disturbances. Um, and the second day, they had me on the, oh, uh, up in a helicopter. They wanted me to do the helicopter, I believe, on the second day. So I went up three times, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once towards like um, the uh, evening. What was your plan of shooting? Just wides, overalls? Yeah, overalls of smoke, fire. devastation. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely empty downtown LA. Yeah, you know, like, it was like midday when on, we went on our uh, noon flight. And it was like, it was a ghost town. There's smoke in the air and there's nothing in the streets. So 
it was great zombie apocalypse yeah. kind of footage. Yeah, yeah. So my second day was just it was just helicopter duty. I was in a helicopter um, three times, uh, morning, noon, and then like towards sunset. And that's where I got the sunset photo that ended up in TV Guide. Right. And then on the third day, a lot of the burning had stopped, and I was on the ground, and I was down around like the Koreatown area, I guess. Okay. Kind of just cruising around there, just looking for, you know, damage and cleanup and things like that. Right. Because didn't, didn't you end up doing something with the uh, uh, rooftop Koreans? Did you? No, that wasn't me. That was Hyung, Hyung Won. No, like in the, were you in the documentary or do you have any pictures in it no, or something? No, no, Okay. That wasn't me. All right. That Be, was, it was a great documentary. Yeah. No, because at that time I was at the Daily News and I think they used a lot of LA Times photos for the right. documentary. Oh, Kurt McCoy and all those guys yeah, were yeah. in that stuff. Yeah. Good God. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Was, was that something for you when you're watching this happen? Did it feel surreal? Did you feel like you're covering history? Oh, yeah. Was yeah, it? Absolutely. I mean, from, from the first day, even from the courthouse, you're thinking, oh, man, this is, you know, bad things are going to get happen. We're not sure how big it's going to be, but bad things are going to happen. And the second day, just when I was up in a helicopter, I could just see, you know, columns of smoke just throughout the city everywhere around the city where you looked, it was crazy. I just remember my dad saying, which was weird, my dad normally didn't give us kind of advice like those, let me pull you aside kind of things, but he just said something on the fact of, totally paraphrasing, but like, it could get a lot worse than you think, so be prepared. Yeah, yeah. I think on our jobs, you just have to think that, like prepare for the worst and hope for the best type of thing. Right. Because, you know, I was, you go out and you're like, oh, could it get any worse? And then, oh my God, you go around a corner. It could get worse, sure. And holy, yeah. you're the only white guy in the whole place yeah. is burning down. Yeah. And there's a fire truck on fire. And Well, our friend Craig Fuji, Craig when Fuji, he was yeah. uh, working for the AP, he got he got beat up, attacked, I think like knocked unconscious or something. Yeah. And he had his gears taken off of his, you know, stolen from him, taken off of his neck. And yeah. there's actually, you know, footage, TV mm-hmm. news footage of him, you know, getting mugged. It's, yeah. it's awful. It's terrible. And there's that, you know... It's not that it's a funny story, but it's a funny story the way uh, Terrell and I'm blanking on his name. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Was They were driving in the car. Black uh, gentleman. Oh, God dang, I can't believe I forget his name. He was a photographer. And so he basically took Mark and shoved him in his lap and drove through the area. Grayson, Steve Grayson. Oh, Steve Grayson, yeah. Yes. And... Grayson just kept him alive by like not seeing just the white, him, yeah, like, the yeah. white guy in the area. And, just hide the white guy. Yeah, and just buried him out. Mark looked like a big, you know, problem at that point. But let's get him. It was, it was bonkers. It was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we had the riots, and then two years later, we get the Northridge earthquake. And then one year after that, 95, was the OJ trial. You know? Right. So. It's it, so. Talk about the OJ trial because there's I've seen photos of it. Mm-hmm. It's like total gun show me young. Mm-hmm. You got this great hair. I don't know why you wore <laughs> shirts, man. You should have just been shirtless all the time with, with those ba- guns. baby oil. Baby oil. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? You're Tom Selleck, hairy chest. <laughs> uh, you know what? I was BTS before BTS. Oh, you were. Yeah. You were. Damn it. <laughs> That what there's your maybe your YouTube channel handle the BTS before <laughs> BTS. <laughs> what? How did you get wrapped up in the robotic camera with the trial? 
Um, Tom, uh, walk me through this whole process. Well, uh, okay. So what happened was basically they just called me and said, "Hey, you're, we're going to put you on the post. You're going to be who the calls post, you? Uh, the our office, uh, the uh, director of photography. Okay, you know because they're uh, planning with all these other organizations on how they're going to cover this thing, right? And so it was that they were going to put a robotic camera in the front above the jury box uh, next to the TV camera. And so that way you get a view of the front of the defendant. Now, no disrespect, but why did they call the Daily News and not the LA Times or AP? No, no, no. We were all part of the pool. There were Right, but why were, you? I was, because I was the guy for the Daily News doing pool on Tuesdays. Okay. LA Times was on Mondays with... Uh, 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 Rick Myers. Oh, Rick, right. Uh-huh. And then I think it was AP, I believe, on Wednesday with Reed Saxon. Okay. And then it was Reuters. Uh, I think that was Sam Murkovich. Okay. Good and old then, Sam. And then I believe it was, yeah, I think it was EPA. I think okay. v- uh, Vince Bucci, possibly. Okay. And so everyone had a um, different day. Because originally what they were going to do is they were going to have everyone who was a pool member there, like, 25 organizations work it. We're like, no, 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 we can't have that because, you know, otherwise just the thing is just going to get damaged. It's going to get screwed up and it'll just be chaotic. So they narrowed it down to these five main organizations and they're going to designate one person from each organization to man the camera on those days. So that way we had this familiarity. And then at the end of the trial, you know, when we were getting verdict photos, everyone who worked the camera was familiar and comfortable with it. Okay. So they wanted like uh, to build in familiarity, and they also they don't, they don't want it to be chaotic either for the the coverage. And, and who built this thing? This oh. is way before, you know, robotics and digital were a thing. No, it was um, it was Nikon. It was um, oh, I forget the God, God, don't kill me. I forget this gentleman's name, but he worked with Nikon, and he was a part of responsible for. He helped set up a, like, a lot of the Nikon remote cameras for shuttle launches and stuff. Okay. So he just kind of had this remote experience, right? And so um, this gentleman from Nikon, um, I'll, I'll get his name. He built this um, uh, silent blunt camera. It was like in a Pelican case. Right. Well, with a Pelican tube. And it was a Nikon F4 film camera with a 80 to 200 zoom lens. Uh-huh. And you know, at that time, it was very crude, but it was it worked. Well, looking back, it was very crude, but it right. worked. And in order to be able to look inside the the viewfinder, he had a little lipstick camera that was pointed at the viewfinder, so you mm-hmm. could see what the camera was doing. Then when it was hooked up to this uh, little uh, worm drive mechanism that zoomed in and out, and that that would f- uh, did the autofocus. There was a button, plunger buttons. So you had a little control box, right? With a um, like a plunger button, you push it halfway down, it would hold focus. You push it all the way, plunge it all the way, it would take a frame. It was on single frame. Then you had a toggle switch on the left here. You can uh, pan left or right and also tilt up and down. Then you had another button here, which you push forward and backwards. That was the zoom. So zoom in, zoom out. How fast was it response? Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, to zoom in from the full range from like 80 to 200 it was it took 20 seconds holy crap so on the day of the verdict um i had to make sure that i was shooting kind of loose and not in the middle of zooming if something happened (laughs) yeah 
Hold on. Yeah, I, I counted it off. I actually counted that off, and it took twenty seconds from like to go to the full extremes. So I'm like, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to be zooming in the middle of something. It's interesting you thought about counting it off. Because I'm thinking, well, do you want to shoot tight, you know, to get like a, right. a full fuller frame, Reaction. or do you want to shoot a little bit loose? But I, I thought shoot a little bit loose just because there was a, there was any kind of gesture you don't want to like cut off like Limbs. arms sure. and stuff, like, right. things like that. So wow. But it was, um, so it was connected by a cable to a cart outside in the hallway, and you would have to assemble it like every morning. They, we were on the inside initially, but it was too crowded, and I think Court TV kicked us out because it was just way too crowded in the back corner. So we were outside on a cart, and we would just have to assemble it, the monitors and stuff, and plug all the cables in, test it, operate it, go put film in the camera. You only had 36 frames. 36 frames, 37 if you count the very end. Sure, squeeze that yeah. end in there. But, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was so it was really interesting. And I was on it for like, what, like nine and a half months or something for the duration? <gasps> Jesus, every Tuesday? Uh, every Tuesday, every Tuesday. And it was the worst after lunch because uh, at that point they're talking about like, you know, DNA and RNA testing and all that stuff. And it's just all this really dense scientific stuff and you just you have a belly full of food and you're just like passing out and trying to stay awake. Would you now, would you get a chance to change film during the day? Yeah, because they would have breaks like every hour and a half or so. Also for the jurors to give the jurors a chance, you know. to. So kind of, you could shoot 36 in that first couple hours and go back and shoot another 36. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So like uh, you would load it up, you shoot the morning session and during the break you go in, you change, uh, change out the film, boom, and then you know, hand it off to a motorcycle messenger who would take it, drive it over to the AP, just down the street from the, right. you know, the courthouse. Yeah, it wasn't that far. Yeah, and they would process and they would put on the on the wire, and then the second break would be after you, the lunch break. So you go and get the film, and you uh, give it to the messenger. Same boom, thing. Boom. Yeah, hour and a half. You come back. You know, you shoot the uh, the early afternoon change hand it off and then the late afternoon at the end of the day then you do your final change so it's one two three it's four for like four runs you're doing four film runs wow for nine months mm -hmm. holy shit once a once a week for nine months yeah except when the verdict came in but on that day on the monday i was filling it for the la times because rick was on vacation Monday is when they said they had they reached a verdict, and so that call came in like after lunch. So we knew the verdict was going to be read the following morning. Right, and so I was lucky enough to shoot the pre the pre day on right. Monday, and then I also got the verdict day on Tuesday as well. So it's just total luck of the draw that it, you know it happened. That it worked out. I got both days. Jesus. Okay, so what's going through your mind when you're when you're sitting there? You're looking at this monitor mm -hmm. and you're shooting history. Mm -hmm. What what's what's hap What are you thinking? Well, who are you focusing on? What's you mean on you mean on the day of the, the verdict? The day of the verdict. On the day of the verdict, um, we we also had a separate monitor with uh, the court TV feed. Okay. okay, so that way we can see and hear what's happening in the courtroom. Okay, so we get their audio, basically the stuff that's being pumped out to uh, court TV, the TV, the viewers. So we can see the TV feed, and we can also hear the audio. So you can hear, you know, everything and seeing everything. So I used I was using Core TV as a second set of eyes. Okay. So what what I did was in the morning, 
you know, you just kind of go and shoot all your, you know, safe shots, just all your cover, cover yourself shots, okay. right? And then as the verdict was happening, I, uh, Cork TV was moving the camera around, right? The TV camera, so I just kind of followed them. <laughs> they went to down to the, um, the, the prosecutors, photographed them, down to the, you know, the Goldman, right? Right. When the verdict was being read, and Kim Goldman's crying, and, you know, they're all being emotional, shoot that move up to the OJ family where, you know, where their daughter's kind of like, like cheering like this, shoot that. And court TV is shooting it too. And I'm, and they're following, they're moving around to OJ's table and I moved over there. After that, I just stayed on OJ the, the entire time. So I got all the safe shots, the reaction. Uh-huh. Then I got over to OJ and then I just stayed put. You basically made sure you covered and told your story. Yeah. Yeah. You had to, you got to have, get everything. And since, and on that day, there were so many people. Um, they could, the court couldn't take any more people, so they, you know, the hallway. There must have been maybe like another hundred or so people in the hallway. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an overflow in the hallway. And since I was the only one there who could hear what was going on, they said, "Can you tell us when the verdict is announced?" Right. So, like, you know, for you know, Ron for the death, of Ron Goben, not guilty. So I go, not guilty. And then the hallway just like erupts. It was split. You know, like half of them were like, oh, right. God, I can't believe this verdict. And then the other half were like, oh, you know, thank God. Yeah, booing and cheering. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. And then, and you know, got over to, um, you know, the um, um, Nicole, Simpson. Nicole Simpson. Nicole right. Simpson's. And I go, not guilty. And same thing. It's like, you know, there's like cheering and there's like this like deep, heavy sigh. You know, and you're like, oh, God. And so the, the hallway was just like this mix of, you know, elation and just like utter dejection. So it was it was pretty crazy. And the thing is, because they were expecting such a large crowd, they brought in extra deputies, right, just for security. So it was over now. Oh, and so this is what happened. And so I got all my safe shots and, you know, shot some photos of uh, OJ. I started on him originally, right? And then I kind of moved around and went back to him. And then I was just waiting for uh, like some kind of reaction. And then it's like nothing was happening. And so what happened, and then what happened was the judge dismissed the jury and said, you know, this is over. Thank you for your service. And as the jury was leaving, Court TV had to move their camera up to be actually not show the jurors, right? I was still on OJ. So that's when he went like this. He went, thank you. And then with the, you know, you had the fist up. So I got one frame there and the second frame follow up was like hands down like this. So there was only two frames of that. Holy and then, crap. And that was, and then, and then after that it was over. And, Shh. and court TV didn't get that cause they raised their camera they up. Raised it, yeah, they had it elevated. So they would, they didn't accidentally show the jurors as they were getting up and walking out. So basically, um, that's the only photo of OJ that exists of the verdict with his fist up because no one got it. People in the back of the courtroom didn't get it. No, they can't see it. Court, court TV didn't get it because they had to move the camera up. And for me, just being on him that whole time, just waiting for a reaction, it's like it finally paid off. You're just like, I had the button focused halfway down and I'm just like waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally he did that. And it's like, one and then you do a quick follow up, and by that time the moment had passed, and you can, I could see um, read his lips. He went like this and went, "Thank you." You can just you know read his right. lips going, "Thank you." Then he Thank God, there's no delay. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. it was, it was right monitor. on. Yeah, no, you didn't have like the two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delay or whatever. Exactly. Hoy, yeah, you would. 
Oh my God. I was outside, so that sounds the most since I've heard. And so, and so after that had happened, you know, it, it was over, and the sheriff's brought in a bunch of extra deputies for court security. I was trying to get in, and a deputy who had never been there, he's like, just, nah, just wait, wait a minute. I go, no, 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 I need to go and get the film. He's like, no, no, just, just wait here. You, no one's allowed in. I go, I'm allowed in. I have to get the film to send out, right? He's like, no one's going in. And, like, the minutes are ticking by. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get the film and send it out. I got to get it to the messenger so it can get over to the AP. So another minute's going, I go, deputy, I need to get inside, please. I got to get the film. He's like, look, no one's getting in right now. So I'm just, like, waiting a little bit longer. Like, several seconds later, another deputy comes out, one I recognize, you know, from the entire time. I go, hey, you know, deputy, you know, so-and-so, can I get, you know, the film? And she's like, oh, yeah, come on in. What are you doing waiting out here? <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm like, oh, oh man! So I'm like, I'm standing out there for like minutes, like the longest minutes, eternity, might as well, right? Yeah, because this other deputy didn't recognize me. The other one's like, oh yeah, yeah, what are you doing out here? Just come on in, go get your film. What come are you on doing, in, buddy? <laughs> so, so I just kind of like, you know, glanced over at the other deputy. It was like, you know, come on, man. Oh well, he's doing his job. And, he doesn't know. Yeah, and then this is this is thing I had to. I had to carefully, you know, rewind the film, and we didn't do the motorized rewind because we were we didn't want stati static electricity um, uh, damaging the film. So every we all did the uh, the manual rewind. Wow! Right? Did that. What film? What camera? It was the F four. F four. Yeah, yeah. It was the F four, and we're shooting the eight hundred Fuji, I believe. Yeah, eight hundred Fuji. Did you guys take the vertical grip off? So it was just real thin. No, no, the vertical grip was still in there. Okay, and then um. So I took the film, I put it in the messenger bag, and I, you know, I put like, you know, frame number 32, and I put like an asterisk. Look here, look at this one, circled yeah. it, right? And I, you know, put in the little envelope and gave it to our motorcycle messenger, and I said, Mickey, whatever happens, do not get hit by a car <laughs> on the way to the AP, okay? Please, please, just whatever happens, just don't God. get I go, just make sure you get this roll to the AP safely. And he goes, oh, yeah, no problem. You know, this old guy. Yeah. He's done a lot of motorcycle messaging for us before. He's like, Shh, and took off. And next thing I know, it's like I hear later that, yeah, they got all these um, images put out on the wire. And we like that photo. Oh. So it was just like, whew, See, it's so stressful. It was. It was, it was absolutely think, stressful. Like, all the things that could have simply gone wrong that we've all messed up in a million days rewinding it doesn't mm -hmm. rewind mm -hmm. doesn't catch the two the bad yeah. shutter yeah. you blow a shutter an element gets out of whack bad chemistry mickey gets hit by a semi whatever yeah yeah it was it was wild it was crazy it was very um it was very nerve-wracking did that did you age in that nine months? More than nine months? Was it like dog yeah, years for I, you? Yeah, I aged like ten years in that moment. I know because it's <laughs> because if something had happened, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, the entire world was waiting for this, you know, these pictures because at that time this is like one of the biggest trials to have happened. Oh, it, it's the I don't it, know it which was, one's at bigger. that time it was the trial of the century. Right. So everyone was waiting for the picture, and if something happened, it's like you know. I'm the guy that gets in trouble, and you know, I pack my bags. I move to Costa Rica, and you never hear from me. <laughs> oh, Costa Rica! But but there's there's a couple of interesting stories that came about from this OJ thing. Okay, uh, one, I got a trip to London because the BBC wanted to do a story. They did uh, back then. They did a uh, um, 
uh, an annual story, like stories of the month type of thing. Right. right. So, the, you know, so they flew me out to uh, England. Because you were the shooter. Because I, yeah, because I photographed that. And so they wanted to so talk how, to When they contact about you about that, what were you thinking? I'm thinking, oh, this is a joke. I'm like, really? And uh, they're like, no, no, no. It's like, uh, um, you know, we're with the BBC. We want to see if you want to come to uh, London. I go, wait a minute. Well, there's like a BBC out in Burbank, right? Why don't I just do their... I know who they are. I've covered them. Yeah. And then, but the, she goes, and then she said it was actually, it was cheaper to fly me out and put me up for a couple of days than it was to hire like uh, like a freelance camera crew locally. I'm like, really? So they flew me out to London for like three days or something. And then I stayed for the week and I paid for, I paid for the uh, rest of the week myself. Well, you're there. You might as I well. I to go sightseeing and stuff. Three so, days is brutal. Yeah. You? you might yeah. as well get used to the time so i mean it was so how was that you dress up wear your little suit and tie and actually i i did i had i had a jacket on a shirt and a tie and just you know they shot like waist up type of thing so it was it was cool it was interesting we talked about the picture and how it came about and what i was thinking and all that stuff jesus yeah that's cool what's the other story that comes up okay this this one's even more interesting so a few days like after um, you know, this the verdict happens, right? I get a call at the office. It's like, uh, yeah, this is so-and-so. I'm with uh, OJ's defense team, and, you know, OJ loved the picture, and he wants to know if he can get a couple of copies. I'm thinking, man, this is a scam. Someone just wants free pictures, right? Because, you know, it was been bringing resold and syndicated and doing all this stuff and all that. It was getting sold quite a bit. Right. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm asking, it's like, what's your name? Who are you with? He goes, oh, I'm so-and-so, you know, with OJ's team. It's like, look, this is not a scam. I'm with them. He, he loved the picture. He wants to know if he can get two. So I'm thinking, okay, just two, not like 10 or something. You know, one for OJ, and he wants to also give one to Johnny Cochran. I'm like, okay. I, so I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is BS, but, I'm, you know, I'll play along. I go, I go okay, but if I send you an extra copy... Do you think OJ can sign one for me and just like just mail it back? He goes, I think I can do that. I'm thinking, ah, this is you know BS, right? I'm just gonna lose three pictures, but whatever. I made this guy happy, so you know I print it up and I send it off. And maybe like a week or two later, um, a FedEx tube, a triangular FedEx tube, shows up in the office. I open it up. It's my 16 by 20 picture that I printed and sent off. It's signed by OJ. <laughs> But here, this is this. Even, the story gets even better. The story gets even better, right? <laughs> oh Jesus! So okay, you know how OJ got busted for like you know kidnapping and threatening those people in from Vegas, of, right? From yeah. Vegas, from Vegas, right? And one of the people in Vegas who was who was kidnapped, uh, one of the defendants, his name was Alfred Beardsley. Apparently, the guy is like a memorabilia collector or something like that, right? That's the guy who called me. It was Alfred Beardsley who called me and said, hey, you know, can you send some pictures for OJ? And this guy, Alfred Beardsley, is one of the guys who was kidnapped by OJ in Vegas that got OJ sent to prison. <laughs> so that's just what? weird. That is a weird circular story there. Do you still have the photo? I still have it. No one's ever seen it. I've, I don't frame it. I haven't, don't have it out. I should do something with now, it to preserve it. 16 by 20. It. You mm-hmm. went big. Yeah. I mean, it was for OJ and Johnny Cochran. I mean, you didn't go like 8 by 10 no, or 11 by no. 14. 16, 20. 16 by 20. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Ansel. So this picture, there's only three of it, or maybe four. I mean, I'll send them an extra copy. But either three or four of it own in existence, a 16 by 20 that's signed by OJ. So I'd have one of them. <laughs> okay, so I, I looked up that image. Uh-huh. All right. Your 
signature on it and the LA Times cover is on eBay for $29. <sighs> Round it up to 30 at least. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. So you signed in a silver pen your name on the LA Times. I'd signed something, like some cover, but uh, so might have been someone I worked with. It wasn't just like Joe, some Joe Schmo. From no, the... no, no, but this was a the newspaper. Uh-huh, yeah. 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 29 bucks on eBay. Come on, 30, man. Do 30. So. Just yeah. ride it up to 30. 29.95 plus 20, taxes. 29.95. For the kids. 30 bucks. For the kids. <laughs> I looked that up and I was like, wow. That's funny. Jesus, I'm sitting with a bona fide celebrity. Bonafide, where? <laughs> right here, right here. Gosh, you and OJ, like that. So for me, my life, you know, up until that point is a bit, a little Elgin, bit, little bit like a For, little bit like Forrest Gump. Like I just happened to be in these, like you know, story making moments. And I know time. that that was the amazing part. Like in this five years, these three major things happened in front yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. And so that's what I was thinking. Like, and then okay. after that, it's just all downhill. <laughs> It's easy street. <laughs> I just, that's why my original hour ago was, you know, would you be now looking because, you know, you've hit these three lightning bolts in front of you. Once again, it was like one of those, like a squishy looking. Yes, but no, because I was still, have, I was having such a good time. Right, you know? You're still I was, living the dream. I'm living the dream. I'm doing these, you know, big assignments and I got OJ. I got a trip to London out of it. Oh, uh, I gotta have an OJ signed picture, which has never seen the light of day. No one's ever, I've never shown it to anyone. Yeah. So I mean, it's like. Well, yeah, it's kind of tacky to have that yeah. hanging up on the wall. You but know, uh, I should... my friend, me young, the sweetest photo ever taken of me. Thank you. Yours truly, OJ. No, it wasn't XO, like XO, that. XO. Yeah. It would no, it wasn't like that. It was just his name and a silver sharpie across the like across the middle. Have you ever ever even looked up what that's worth? No, I don't really care because I one I don't want to sell it. I had thought about donating it to donating it to the museum, but they went out of business. So I <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I I want the Annenberg. They're oh they're gone too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I need to find a way to safe keep this. It's it's still in the tube. Um, I'm gonna oh, yeah, take care of gotta. it. I got to put it flat somewhere and you know do something with it and kind of take care of it. Yeah, it's. Maybe it's, maybe I'll hit you up later and we'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll figure something out. It's something. But it's one of those things where I'm, I have no interest in selling it, making money off it. No, I don't want, no. But it's I, historical. Yeah, it's historical, but that's why I would be willing to like donate it to uh, some kind of a museum, journalism museum, Annenberg or something. You know, It's just somewhere. Yeah. I, I, I would be willing to do that. And then get, getting a receipt for the you know the tax write off. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> We're no fools here. Hey, Mama didn't raise no Mama dummy. Mama didn't raise no dummy right here. <laughs> she, might, she might raise a fool, but no dummy. <laughs> That's great. So those next couple of years, though, the Daily News, you know, it was so all get, downhill, man. So you get to ninety nine. I mean, someone comes calling in ninety nine. Yeah, it was. Um, Actually, it was Tom Jago came calling. It was just like all of a sudden, like in the middle of the night, I'm on the way home. He calls me and, you know, he's like, are you happy at the Daily News? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> did he have that voice like that, too? Did yeah. he sound like? It's like, are you happy at the Daily News? For three, sub three subscriptions. <laughs> and, and what did you say? I said, yeah, I'm doing pretty yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty happy here. It's like, what's going on? He goes, well. You know, we're hiring at the LA Times, and I want you to work there. 
I'm like, okay. So like that, I think, I think it was like that evening or the following evening I met him. And at that time, the editor, the local editor of the Valley section, Ardeth Hiller, I met them for dinner just to kind of talk about it. And then shortly I, and I think that evening pretty much I accepted it. And then the rest is history. And I worked at the Valley office. And that's how I got into the LA Times. Right. Mm-hmm. The Valley Edition. Mm-hmm. I remember when I heard, I was very happy. Because I know that there's guys at OC and the Valley, and it's like, good. Like you. I played at the OC, too, and I didn't get that. And in some ways, I'm glad. Because, man, I, you know, I would either have to move or commute from San, you know, like from where I lived down to Orange County. And right. Stuff. Yeah, so it would have been kind of tough. Well, getting you out of that area, my God, you need a passport to come here today. <laughs> You're so far away. I mean, you're, yeah. you're you're almost Canadian. You're so far north. Almost, almost. <laughs> so, when you take that job, when you're right, you're 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 in the valley. You mm-hmm. take that job. You're in the L.A. Times. What was your thought then? Like, baby, I've made it. Do you have like that star born kind of? Like kind of, yeah. Rocky thing going on, like kind of. Uh, and, suck it, you know. <laughs> I'm here. Yes and no, and I'll tell you why. We, and we got to go back to 1987 real quick to my internship okay. at the LA Times, right? The mugging, that, that yeah, one. the <laughs> mugging, yeah, that that one. My internship at the LA Times, I hated it. And then, and, and you know, for the school, I had to write up a report. Um, you know, when we have our internships, to give it mm-hmm. to our advisor, right? I'd explain these are the reasons why. Just like, you know, I hated it. I didn't like my internship at the LA Times. I didn't like my experience at the LA Times. Uh, when I was an intern back then, uh, I felt like I was just literally just like a, a number. It felt like um, like a factory where I was just another body coming in. Because like, you know, partway through it, it's like <laughs> the chief star calls me over and goes, hey, help me look, help me pick out the, uh, the next intern. So I'm sitting there as an intern looking through the portfolio of the next intern that's going to replace me, right? And, and just, it just seemed like a very impersonal, um, you know, type of place to work at that time. Interesting. And, and so for me, my experience. As there wasn't an, much of a program then. It was just a body. I mean, for me, my experience was it felt like just a body there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, you know, I worked hard and I did what I could. And I tried to get the most out of it. But it just seemed, it seemed like a very cold, cold. impersonal um, experience. Well, like, like, you, like you're here for 10 weeks, you know, thank you. Thank you for your service, you know, goodbye. That, that type, yeah, that type of thing. But and they, so my experience was... the Velvet Coffin. That was the kind of that. For a staffer, though. Yeah. For well, a staffer. That, right? But not, so, not for an intern. No, but, you know, it, it but was things, cold. But, but it things was have changed. Corporate. But things have changed, especially, like, with interns now. Yes. And just, I see that when interns come in, it's 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 much more, um, you know, working with them. It's paying a lot more attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, a much more personable. And so the experience, I think, now um, is totally different than when I went through it, you know? So. so did it leave a big, a bit of a bad taste in your mouth? A little bit. kind of worried you? A little bit, because when I was at the Daily News at that time, because my experience, you know, during my internship, it's like, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to work at the LA Times, you know, because my experience was there wasn't very good. Um, so it just I kind of poo-pooed. But then in 99, you know, they came, he came knocking, and at that point I thought, you know what, I've been here for, you know, 11 years. So maybe it is change scenery, uh, more money, better benefits, you know. Nicer car. Nicer car. 
So, you know, I sold out. I, I sold out to the man. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with Myung Chung. If you enjoyed this episode, please click and hit the like button. Become a subscriber to the podcast. And remember to follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. You can find all of our past shows at the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.